This is Ashling Clark, director of The Devil's Doorway, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 160. And on Horror Movie Podcast, we generally have two different types of episodes, our themed episodes and Frankensteinian shows. And this here tonight is a Frankensteinian episode where we review a variety of horror movies and horror topics, whatever we want to discuss, basically. And as promised, we're also going to be talking about some of the Halloween 2018 listener feedback. And on Horror Movie Podcast, what we do is we bring you in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. Jay, knock knock. Who's there? Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada who? Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> I love that show. I'll tell you a story about that real quick. When I was in like junior high school, I had those glasses that when you'd go outside, they would tent, you know, and turn into sunglasses. Cool. It, oh, super cool. <laughs> yeah. And so when I would, when I would wrap the shoes with the Velcro too. <laughs> earlier. Really cool. Earlier in my life. But yeah, well, I wore white Reeboks at that time. Uh, they look like nurses' shoes, but anyways, I was super cool as you can, as you can picture. And there was a guy that was like older high school guy who like ripped on everybody. And so when I would get on, when I'd get on the school bus with my glasses all tinted like sunglasses, he'd call me Punch from Chips. <laughs> so that's so funny. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you hid your shoes from him. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so Dave here, Doctor Shock actually has to be at work at 3 a.m. So we're going to jump into it and, and get going here. So let's uh, kick this off with uh, about as crazy as you can get. Let's move into our feature review of Mandy from 2018. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. Strange and eternal. Okay, Mandy is a 2018 film directed by Panos Cosmatos and written by Panos Cosmatos with Aaron Stewart on. The film stars Nicolas Cage as Red Miller and Andrea Riseborough as Mandy, the titular Mandy. And they are a couple who are soulmates and are deeply in love and they live in the woods. Nicolas Cage's character is a lumberjack and Mandy's character, at first I thought she was like an extremely successful author or painter or something, mm-hmm. because they seem to live in like this beautiful house on Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out she like works at a local convenience store, maybe instead. Yeah, but she is. She is shown to be a very talented artist, and they have this really 
fun relationship and they're they're out camping and one night she's one day she's walking along the side of the road and she is passed by a caravan of cult members led by the prophet Jeremiah played by Linus Roach and his creepy followers and Jeremiah sees Mandy and must have her he's you know she is the key to something that he desires and so um he kidnaps her and the film really grows out of that decision to kidnap Mandy and even further what happens to her later mm-hmm. basically Mandy is a revenge film but it is depicted in a way that is thoroughly mind-blowing um the imagery is fantastical and otherworldly it is shot in a way that takes some deciphering in terms of whether what you're watching is real or an illusion there are many fantastical elements throughout um i think this is a film that blends horror and fantasy and drama and um, Nicolas Cage here turns in one of his crazier performances, which is, you know, one of those things that <laughs> is, um, you know, hard to say about an actor yeah, such as Cage. That's really saying something. But I do think, you know, in a rare turn, he's in a film that really meets him where he's at. You know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think the he's best when he's in a movie that can kind of match his level of intensity. And I think Mandy is such a film. So, um, yeah, you you basically the 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 short it, it is a minor spoiler, but it's necessary to understand even the basics of the plot. That basically, Mandy is killed, and um, her boyfriend, played by Nicolas Cage, or her husband. Are they husband or boyfriend? I'm not. I'm not. Totally they're, sure. they're married. I believe yeah, okay. they're married. They and, mentioned that at one point. And moreover, soulmates, really. Soulmates, right. most important. Right. Right. Uh, Red Miller is his name. Um, he goes on a tour of vengeance, and it's a pretty fascinating film. I think it's. I think it's a movie that takes B movie style cliches or imagery, but, but delivers it in art house fashion. So (laughs) the types of things that you might see in a schlocky B genre picture, but delivered as though you're watching a film from the Cannes film festival, which this indeed did play at the Cannes film festival. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it's, it's a very rare type of film i don't think there are many films like this i think this is a film that loves you know kind of schlocky b horror but again it it, it's the experientially it's more like an art film and i've heard a lot of people compare this to heavy metal not the music although there's plenty of metal uh of vibes throughout this film but also the you know the animated uh heavy metal or the or the magazine oh. i guess the 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 one from like early eight like 1982 81 ish that one yeah correct which oh, wow. which that in itself was a huge influence on things like blade runner and 
the fifth element and a lot of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but this goes more the metal route, the fantasy route, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I, I have so much to say about this film. I don't, I don't feel like I'm being super articulate, but I, there, I think Ryan from movie podcast weekly and geek cast live gave the best <laughs> review I've ever heard of this film. <laughs> I don't know if you know which one I'm talking about. Jay. Oh, I sure do actually. Yes. But if you don't mind, <clears throat> I'd just like to kick off our review by reading his comment because I really I don't know if there's a better way to encapsulate it than uh, than what Ryan said here. Go for it. Ryan says, Mandy is the closest we will ever get to a live action Rolf Bosky movie. I've seen it twice. There's no understanding. It is a movie that could and should just be painted on the side of a van in the 1980s. <laughs> And I think that last bit particularly, it's a movie that could and should be painted on the side of a van in the 80s, uh, really nails it. But I I like that it has this mythical quality that, again, a lot of heavy metal from that era did. You know, it has this very epic feel Mm -hmm. to it, this very otherworldly feel to it. And it feels like a mythological story it's presented as this you know classic kind of greek or like you know hero's journey quest you know and so i i love that about it as well mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know i could keep talking forever so i'll just stop and let you guys say something at this point well i'm gonna kick it over to dave but i just wanted to compliment you josh i i loved ryan's quote of course and i also loved what you said about it being B B movie schlock elevated to art house film. That was that was amazing. I I hadn't heard anybody else say that, and that that nails it. You really captured it, uh, Doctor Shock. What do you say about Mandy? Mandy is you know equal parts like gruesome and beautiful. It, it really is with um uh, and a lot of what Josh says is is absolutely spot on. I mean it's one of those movies you're just sort of staring at awe at the imagery and what's going on and not even realize you're basically watching, uh, you know, like he said, sort of a, sort of an exploitation revenge film um, <laughs> with lots of, uh, lots of violence and these deplorable characters um, and this, uh, this very enigmatic yet, <laughs> A uh, very uh, insecure cult leader, as we find out on a couple of occasions. <laughs> right. um, it's just it it truly it it truly is a, a it's a work of art, and I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, there was a lot to to like about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's long, and I, 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 that's a complaint I've heard about is that it it, de- it definitely takes its time, mm-hmm. and it is it is very long. It's, but it, it know, sets that pacing. It sets that pacing early on, you know. True. So it's 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 just a slow sort of moving uh, film, and you kind of you kind of get caught up in that. And I didn't mind the length. For me, it didn't seem too long. Mm-hmm. I think it is a movie you have to give your full attention to, though, because it is slower and longer at times. Like it, you're tempted to, 
like kind of have it on the background. At least I should say for me, I was tempted to kind of have it on the background and do other things while I was watching it. <laughs> right. And instantly I was lost and I had missed stuff and I had to rewind right. this one particular scene three times. And then at, at that point I was like, okay, I just have to sit here and completely immerse myself in this because <laughs> this is going to take all of my attention because although it takes a, a while to get to certain things, when it does get there, it's insane. And, and it's also uh, very rich. Like it's filled with content, you know, for as um, kind of meandering as it can seem like it is at, at times. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said you guys, you guys have really captured this well, and I think you've painted a picture of it. Um, yeah. For a stop, for a stopwatch watcher like me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I just, I love giving people the heads up. I want to chime in with what you guys said about it really being deliberately paced. It takes at least like, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, somewhere in there around the 50 minute mark or something before it really starts rolling. And, and that's fine. I just like to put that out there. But the, the first thing I'll say is even though this movie is not really my cup of tea, generally speaking, if someone were to just flat out just say, oh, I hate that movie or, or just be if they would disregard this, because I like what Dave said. He called it a work of art. That's so true. And it, and I think if somebody were to just say they hate it, then that would just be that would that would be dismissive of a genuine cinematic work of art. This is a cinematic oddity. I would call it that it's the color palette here in this film is is gorgeous. It is so beautiful to look at. And and even more beautiful than the colors is the soundtrack. The score in this is just I I mean, I seriously I don't really buy uh soundtracks that often, but this is the, one of those where I'm like, you know, I should I should look into purchasing this. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, because just listening to it is just incredible. And of course, um, people will know it was one of the last films scored by Icelandic composer Johan Johansson, um, who's very, um, well, e- extremely, I-, I think, in some ways, a musical genius, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do you disagree with that or do you guys? What do oh, you I th- absolutely agree with you. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this movie, to me, brings so much other music to mind. Again, it has this very heavy metal kind of vibe. I kept thinking of Stairway to Heaven. Like I kept feeling like I feel like this is like the experience of you know that you know the feeling you get when you watch the opening kind of credit shot from The Shining with that score playing like yeah. <laughs> like I had felt like I had that feeling for most of the movie. Then all of a sudden kind of highlighted with this, like the first time I heard stairway to heaven and listen to the lyrics feeling, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is a, a really weird transcendent feeling. But again, with that kind of epic eighties metal, you know, um, mythological kind of feel to it. And then, and then again, those, those are just like feelings that the film captures separate from the actual music, which is just a, I don't know, weird, maybe that's, maybe it's just me, but I, it was very evocative. Like the entire time I was really feeling things watching this movie. It's also the director. It's clear. He has a love of the genre from all the things we've talked about, but you know, there are a lot of 
references here to you know uh, Hellraiser, which we just recently talked about. I felt like there were several very clear references to Hellraiser. Um, the cult leader who Dave mentioned kind of being insecure, uh, you know, he, he explicitly has the don't look at me line from Hellraiser, which really drove home that point for me, which, you know, had already been kind of like, there are some characters here that resemble physically kind of Cenobites. And so I'd already kind of been thinking about that. But when I heard him say Frank's line of, you know, don't look at me. I really thought, Oh, this is interesting because that is a character that is so self-centered and it's all about his personal spiritual journey, you know, of pleasure and pain. And we have a lot of those themes reflected in this film, but then I think this film does an interesting job of, whereas Frank does seem kind of godly, um, you know, our, our mere character here in this movie um, this this cult leader of Jeremiah, he seems really pathetic. And I think it's interesting seeing as Dave as Dave mentioned, the insecurity behind this kind of ego mystical uh, character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they did a good job of uh, conveying that, both the actor and the movie, I think. And it, what's really interesting is this is one of the few films where Nicolas Cage in his full sort of wig out uh, personality does not stand out, you know, I, right. like you were saying, Josh, yeah. this, this, fits him. <laughs> this is like perfect for him because he can be the Nicolas Cage from mom and dad, <laughs> but yeah. it's not really drawing attention to it mm-hmm. because he's surrounded by elements that just fit it. That, that just sort of not even mask it just it merges perfectly with uh, with that persona. Mm-hmm. Well, he was going kind of full Nicolas Cage as well for the first, or for kind of like that middle third of the film. But then at about uh-huh. an hour and a half in, <laughs> he takes a giant snort of cocaine and takes a taste of, you know, what appears to be LSD or acid. And, oh boy. <laughs> right, <laughs> you, know, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, when Nicolas Cage does that, you're in for <laughs> something pretty extreme going forward. Yeah. It reminded me of his character from bad Lieutenant for a second. I mean, he really, he is, he is more subdued than you'd think. And I do feel like this is a movie where you can kind of like almost oversell how crazy it is. It is insane, but I think because as we talked about, it's kind of slow getting there at times. um, I think people could maybe, you know, at an hour and be like, well, this isn't kind of as crazy as I thought it was going. Well, yeah. And and there is a story. Yeah. There is a story here. And I think where, where we get is just like, we're saying the visuals, the visuals and the music and even the titles they use. And those are things you could see. Like when they say, you know, the mountains at the beginning um, and they, they give you the cult's name. That's the type of stuff you'd see on those sort of heavy metal albums. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, yeah. The title such. cards, yeah. yeah, and even the 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 first establishing card. It says, you know, uh, Shadow Mountain, nineteen eighty three A.D. And I right, love that right. inclusion of the A.D. because right. when you see that, typically you're thinking it's going to be some like type of medieval film or something. Yeah. But then to include that in a movie set in the eighties just adds to that kind of mythical quality of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now we're getting some Homer. <laughs> no, I so I don't do drugs. Um but uh 
I imagine this would be one of those films that Coca Cola is a drug, Jay. <laughs> well, <laughs> to break it to you, I don't do any hard. I don't do any hard stuff. You but, don't. You don't eat Dairy Queen and then and then uh, you know chase it with Coca Cola, do you? Oh well, yes, I have actually. I'm ashamed to oh, say. Well there, well, there you go. But, do that and do that, and then rewatch Mandy. <laughs> I will take you up on that, sir. That sounds like a great yeah, idea. In fact, change the experience for you. In fact, just today, I got um, I got a Dairy Queen gift card from my mama. So, <laughs> anyways, um, so well, did she? I, did she know what you do with that? <laughs> no, and don't tell her. So, all right. Here's the thing. I could totally see this being one of those movies that that people, you know trip out to and watch it while they're under some sort of influence but honestly e- even watching it okay i remember when i was like 12 years old my um my crazy uncle <laughs> he showed me he showed me that film uh the wall pink floyd's the wall and then he showed me tommy you know mm-hmm. and and i remember mm-hmm. as a 12 year old in a very difficult period of my life i think i've mentioned this before as i was watching those i felt like i was going crazy and I, and I felt really, you know, I don't, unstable or something while watching that. And, and you could, you could have a similar kind of experience, I think, watching this. If you, there's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it's really interesting you mentioned that, Jay, because I was about nine when the wall, the, the album came out. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to that by a friend at the same time I was introduced to uh, Sergeant Rock Comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, we started playing at that point. We had gotten it from my aunt in California before it even came this to the East Coast Dungeons and Dragons. Or I shouldn't say that. I guess it was here. Um, all three of those things nearly broke my little nine-year-old mind. Um, <laughs> in much the same way the movie worked on you. So it's interesting that you had that same experience with the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird. And, and sometimes, you know, art can do that. It can push you to your limits. And I know that probably sounds ridiculous to a lot of people out there, but if you, if you experience or encounter art when you're in a certain emotional state, you know, especially if you're feeling fragile or something, it can really affect you. And I think this is one of those types of movies. Now, heaping all the praise that we've had and the admire admiration, I think what we've said is true. Like, um, writer, director, Panos Cosmatos. I mean, this dude's definitely an artist. Definitely the things we've already said that are praiseworthy or true. But Josh, going back to what you said again at the beginning about it being B-movie stuff, I can't argue if somebody says, yeah, but guys, that's also a bunch of pretentious BS. This movie's very pretentious. And it's like, I could see that that as well. I mean, I think really? you, I think you could accuse it of being a, a little uh, pretentious. Um, about pretentious. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, the the very fact that he was so bold as to to elevate and take you know B movie type material, schlock material, and and make it into an art film, I think that that shows a lot of uh, confidence. And I, I don't know. Well, I'll give you confidence. It, it, <laughs> I don't think I don't think pretension's the right word for me, though. I mean, I, I I don't disagree with the point you're making. Um, I do think you know it has a very strong point of view. It's completely commits to the world it's in. Like, 
this feel you know it's easy to you know compare to the the heavy metal not only because of the visuals not only because of that there is animation in this which i will say that was the one thing that felt a a little out of place for me but um Mm -hmm. but it's the word there there is a great word for it where it's it's, it is self-indulgent that's what i'll say that that's true well and let me try to explain better what i mean because it, and you, I'm sure you could speak to this a million times better than I could. But if I were a filmmaker and, and I were trying to, you know, like I realized that, yes, um, there is the artistic side and there's the commercial side. And and when those overlap, it's glorious. And there are people who say, you know, screw you. I will make my art and I don't care if it sells or doesn't sell. But I, I think the fact that this guy... I mean, the first hour of this, okay, okay, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. The fact that he is, is okay with subjecting me to paying to see this film and then have this, <laughs> there's so little dialogue and so much space between the words. I, I mean, they say so little and then it's so spaced out. Like, it's like, uh, and this is a terrible but example. It's packed with visuals. It doesn't, you know. The, that, that's true. That's true. But that's I, the language in the film is the visual. Language. I would agree with that. It's, it, but it's, it's bold. Cinema. What it is, it's cinema. It's drawing attention to the fact that it's cinema. You know, <laughs> that, that you, this is something you can do with, uh, with, with movies. You can, this, you know, it's, it's not, a lot of movies will draw you into the story and you get caught up and then you, you're just there. This movie is always reminding you this is this is film and i personally i love that about it so you don't think this guy is a, a little brazen and a, a oh, little no definitely oh no definitely he is um but man why not have more of that in 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 the cinema today i mean i think it yeah i think this feels like a 70s movie which is the thing i not not specifically but just the approach to it it feels like an auteur is doing something extremely unique. And it reminds me of someone like Wes Anderson, who creates a completely unique world and tells his story within his world. And it couldn't be anyone else's movie. And yeah, you can say that Wes Anderson is also very self-indulgent. He is, but I don't think, I think like Wes Anderson, he's also drawing on like these pop cultural elements and so for me that does the opposite i guess of being pretentious it kind of makes it more accessible in a way you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's interesting i mean yeah the blend of these is just (laughs) it's kind of hard for me to deal with in in a good way i mean that complimentary it's like hard for me to really figure out exactly how i feel like you wouldn't think someone who was a big fan of prestige pictures would appreciate mandy you know i don't think just because it's beautifully shot which it is and beautifully lit and incredibly acted and all of these things i don't think most kind of uh, film fans are going to be able to appreciate this i think this really is geared towards genre fans and people who have these kind of 80s video store pop culture touchstones you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i see that and and, um, you know, a lot of fantasy elements here, as you guys have said, 
and and fantasy is not always my cup of tea either but like the the fantasy in this is is strong um here's a couple yeah. of of complaints that you guys may or may not <laughs> you know agree with but um for me i and and i guess you could accuse me of being oversensitive or something i don't i don't feel like i'm sensitive i feel like i'm pretty open minded about this kind of thing but maybe i'm wrong uh, like i do get kind of bugged when like i i realize that many faiths of the world like many religions have been used um you know in the name of of evil and they weren't initially um designed that way but there have been people who would say they're of a certain faith and then they would do terrible things that were not necessarily original tenets of that faith and then they would you know go forward with it so so i recognize that happens and and as a christian myself like i i know that there have been terrible things that happen in the name of christianity unfortunately over period of history so i'm just putting that out there i realize this and still currently right that's what that's what i mean when i say in the period of history it, it has happened and um right. I, I, it bugs me though. Like when, when it's like, okay, these people in this movie and, and maybe this dude just feels like Christians are crazy and that's, that's fine if that's how he feels. But I'm just saying it just kind of bugs me where it's like they take this imagery, like the symbols and the, the imagery of Christianity and they make it like, like this, this nutty cult. I mean, these, I mean, cause they're, they're pretty savage. I don't know. It just it kind of it yeah, rubs me I, the wrong way. I would say that the movie is clear that these people are perverting the teachings of Jesus. Let's say I mean he even has this line where you know where Jesus got wrong, he sacrificed himself essentially. You know, and I think I think these guys, if you want to get really religious about it, they you know this cult leader Jeremiah, the way he talks is the way the Church of Satan leaders talk about all about your own personal gain. And it really is actually the antithesis of the teachings of a Jesus. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't think the film is ignorant of that. I don't, I, I, I can understand why you'd feel sensitive about it, but yeah. I, I don't think there's any confusion here. Like these are like typical Christians or anything like that. Right. Well, that's true. I, yeah, I just I feel like I never got, I never got that feeling, that feeling either. I mean, I knew what they were doing, but I never looked at it like that it was a criticism of religion as much as it was a criticism of, like you were saying, Jay, the perversion of religion. Well, and mm -hmm. also this movie takes place in the Pacific Northwest, and there are a lot of cult things going on up there. Like we just talked about that wild, wild country recently on our cult right. episode, which, man, this movie would have fit in awesomely yes. on our cult discussion sure. film as well. Another that we're going to talk about in a minute. But Agreed. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a you know, presumably um, I know that they wanted to make the film in the Pacific Northwest. And I know the co-writer is from the Pacific Northwest. So I'm not sure about Panos Cosmatos, but clearly, you know, they intentionally said it there. And I wonder if, um, you know, the connection to some of those cults in that area played into that decision. Yeah. I also love question. the setting of the Pacific Northwest because I do think that area of the country has a, like a mystical quality to it. I don't think there's any place more majestic in the United States to me than the Pacific Northwest coast. Like it just feels like you're in a fairy tale. Like you are in 
some kind of otherworldly location. So mm-hmm. I think setting it there was a cool idea. I don't think you really get the sense of what it's like there. Like, I don't feel like I watch this. I'm like, Oh yeah, this feels like Oregon or anything, but I think it's fun to kind of play on what I think is a real mystical feeling you get. I get when I'm, when I'm in those woods, you know, mm-hmm. and reminds me of like gravity falls even or something like that, you know, that my kids love. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying there because yeah, it's, it adds to the, the the filmic cinematic nature of it uh, having such locations uh, it's really enriching to the film i agree with you um so i was going to ask you guys this how do you feel about this and all and and if people haven't seen the trailer for this i i won't i won't talk about these elements even though they do appear in the trailer so i won't go into specifics unless you guys feel that we should but but um let's just say there is something in the trailer that is that has stripes okay and then another thing in the trailer that that is uh very shiny you know aluminum or chrome or whatever right so you you have two of these like magnificent like eye candy odd elements to be in this film and when and i remember when i first first saw the trailer for mandy i'm like wow what is happening in this film you know and, and i wanted to see it because of those elements and Unfortunately, I feel like those aren't paid off very well. And, and I mean, I expected those two things to have more of a role, especially right. the shiny one. Um, I, I, I guess I thought it would just be a, a richer implementation. And, and now I'm just wondering, okay, was this just used to uh, spice up the trailer? You know, just kind of disappointing. Probably. Yeah. Oh, there, there's no doubt. I mean, trailers, that's what they're trying to do. They enticed you. So the trailer did its job. Right. That's true. So um, have you guys seen it? But, you know, let's let's take that discussion point further, because I agree with Dave, like it did its job. But, I, you know, we I do think that is a problem, you know, and we, we talked about this very recently with the Halloween film, how it's spoiled in a film where there were very few twists and turns. It kind of spoiled a lot of them and how much more exciting would it have been had those not been in the trailer I think that is a problem. I don't know if there's any way to address that really. <laughs> Probably not. But you would think with a film like this, that's maybe more independent. You know, this was um, produced by Spectrovision, which is Elijah Wood's, you know, company. And they've been doing some great work recently. But, um, you know, and they did like The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and stuff like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think there's probably no way to actually address that because I know a lot of the time, like if it's a studio film, they have a whole marketing department and the filmmakers have no input on that or anything. So on one hand, you know, I've always kind of said, you can't really blame the movie for that, but right. That's true. For for a more independent release like this, you would think they would be more cognizant of that. But, but on this same kind of topic, I do celebrate and love this film. For um, so you mentioned the animated part, but there's an there's an animated type of character in this film that happens mm-hmm. like right about the midpoint, mm-hmm. and um, Nicholas Cage like when when he encounters this character, he's just kind of staring, you know, <laughs> and, and and I love that sequence, and and I just I've thought about that the most out of the whole film, mm-hmm. and and uh, first of all, I love the character itself, but I've also like wondered about. Um, okay. Like, what is this? What is this about? And I feel like it does have purpose. I, I feel like it has some sort of like, 
I don't know. It's weird how like when you encounter tragedy in your life, you you go from the heights and the depths of of these intense emotions and then within within a short period of time you're back to the mundanity of life again and and i feel like you know this commercial is an example of that it's kind of a back-to-back thing and it also gives him time to to reset and kind of like unload and come out of shock or whatever it is and i think that's a really cool sequence so it's putting out there yeah i agree Anyways, um, did you guys have you guys seen his other film Beyond the Black Rainbow? Yeah, it, I I highly recommend it. I do think um, it's less accessible than this film, though. So, <laughs> like, if you felt like Whoa. this was, yeah, too much, then maybe don't watch that movie. That one will mess you up, though. I mean, it is it is intense. When you say it will and mess you up, fa- I would say that one has less overtly horror, but like. Like it definitely feels, you know, fantasy sci-fi, but um, is dis- super disturbing. I felt okay, and is a trippy movie like this. Like he definitely has the thing that he does. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay, well, let's. Um, if you guys are about wrap finished, we can wrap up then with final thoughts and ratings. For me, guys, I just want to tell you, I I do admire. The film, I admire like the artistic uh, endeavor that it is, the the creativity, the ambition. Um, my favorite parts are truly the soundtrack, um, you know, the score and the visuals. I think it's just so beautiful to look at, um, and so I cannot be dismissive uh, of it. And like Dave said, it is a work of art, and so for me, I give it a seven out of ten. And I call it a rental. I think this is something that if you love the cinema and and even, you know, I think horror fans would appreciate. I, I don't think it's as steeped. It, it's definitely a horror film, but I don't think it's as steeped in the traditional, you know, I don't know. It's not the, your traditional horror story, because as you said, Josh, it's like this epic tale you know, yeah, it's more based around a, re- a revenge plot is the plot. Yeah, so you're not going to find some of the typical tropes you'd find in a slasher film, but right, I think it's undeniably horror for me the way it uses tension and gore and scares. Well, yeah, I I agree. Horrific imagery and yeah, so I, yeah, I wasn't saying at all that it's not horror, but I'm just saying it, it's it's not conventional for sure. So just just so people have their expectations managed, but yeah, seven out of 10, I think it's a rental one time watch. And, um, and that's that. What do you say, Dr. Shock? All right. Well, before my rating, uh, Jay reserves the right to change his score after his peanut buster parfait. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love, I loved a lot of, uh, of this movie. Yes. It's, it's, there is a, a it's slow, but it's deliberately paced that way. So once you get caught up in it, I think I honestly didn't realize the two hours had gone by. I think it's like just over two hours with the end credits. And it's very interesting how the end credits I seem to remember. Didn't they play out in like silence? Yeah, they're... I don't remember that. I think they I think they did. I've seen a few movies recently and I might be confusing that with something else. I just thought that was kind of inter- interesting how it was just sort of defeated at the end saying, hey, look, we've given you everything we got. 
here's the credits. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But there really is a lot going on here. There's a lot to see. There's a lot to experience. And um, it has those elements of a revenge film in in a very it's it's a myth like like josh was saying it's 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 its own mythology it's its own it's its own universe and yeah i i really love i think i'm going to give it a nine out of ten and i think it's a it's a buy wow okay i think there's plenty to plenty to re-experience and also things that you know you might catch 10 viewings from now that you miss the first nine Mm-hmm. Okay. Dave says nine out of ten. He says buy it. And Wolfman Josh, what do you say about Mandy? Yeah, I couldn't agree with Dave more in terms of there's so much to see here. I feel like you'll get so much out of this on rewatches, and there's so much to experience. I just feel like the coolest thing about it is that element. It feels like an experience. Like it's a movie you really experience. You're not you're not being told a, a super plot heavy story by any stretch of the imagination, but it is kind of overwhelming. Two recent films that I'd love to compare this to for our listeners, although this is, again, much more trippy, uh, are Revenge. And I think this has that visual flair of Revenge, Uh, you know, the super saturated bright colors. This does what that did times 10. And so I think if you enjoyed the look and feel of that film, again, this is uh, more psychedelic, but, but, you know, there were people who really hated that cave scene in revenge. And if you hated the cave scene in revenge, you're going to really hate Mandy. (laughs) If you liked the cave scene in revenge, like I did, I feel like this um, delivers a lot more of that kind of an experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Further, I would say the movie that this most reminds me of recently is The Bad Batch from last year, which uh, was just shy of my top 10 list last year. And I really, really enjoyed that. That was a cannibal uh, post-apocalyptic film that was heavily influenced by Yodorowsky. And I feel like this has a bit of the Yodorowsky feel to it. Like if someone said, oh, yeah, Yodorowsky was like a major influence on this. I'd be like, yeah, I 100% see that. I get that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that should maybe tell viewers of recent horror films like uh, The Bad Batch and Revenge, maybe uh, what kind of movie you're dealing with here. I also do love, the you know, back to the religious kind of iconography. There's another movie, Lords of Chaos, that hopefully we'll get a chance to review on this podcast this year. But I, I think it got pushed to 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I heard some listeners saying that uh, earlier today, but it's based on the kind of the the uh, Scandinavian black metal scene, that film. And, you know, we talked about this in our heavy metal horror episode, all of the lore and reality of people burning down the Christian churches up there. And this movie ends with a church burning. And again, I think because it's a metal movie, I think that's intentional to kind of like harken back to the, the metal roots that a lot of this has, but um, sorry, that was a little sidetrack there i was just thinking about the ending when dave was talking about the credits but um yeah i think there's so much here to appreciate i don't think there are any missteps in this movie for me i i can i totally get the criticism that's over long and i feel like if it were 
a little bit snappier. I feel like it could still accomplish what it's trying to accomplish. And you'd have a lot more people saying what I'm about to say, which is I think it's a masterpiece in what it's trying to accomplish. (laughs) And so I think, I think if it were a little tighter, you know, I think you legitimately could cut 15 minutes out of the movie, which I, I, people say that kind of thing all the time. I'm an editor, like for, for my, for part of my day job, you know, I, I make documentaries and when I'm between films, not working on my own films, I still edit for money. So I know like usually when people say, Oh, you could cut 20 minutes out of this. They really mean like three minutes out of this. You know, I really do think you could cut pretty easily 10 minutes out of this mm-hmm. and it would be a tighter experience for viewers. And I think then you'd get less people complaining about some of those things and just appreciating it for what it is. But yeah, for me, what it is, is perfect, you know, as far as what it's trying to attain. And so, yeah, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. And I say absolutely buy it. And if I had the chance to see this in the theater, I would. Wow. Okay. Wow. Matt and masterpiece. That's, I don't get that very often from you, Josh. So that's, that's saying something. I'm, I'm impressed. Well, I think it a lot. <laughs> but you just don't say I, it. I, I, I probably throw the word masterpiece around. Um, uh, for me, what, what I mean by that is all of the craft elements are perfectly executed in a film that is accomplishing exactly what it's trying to accomplish. And I found it. And look, I don't like drug movies and I don't like trippy movies and I don't really like fantasy all that much. So for me, it's saying a lot that I appreciated this movie as much as I did. But you do like art things that are not in my I do like art films, but none of those three other things are in my wheelhouse. And there's a lot of all three of those things. Mm -hmm. And I so for me, what I am, I think I'm responding to is that classical epic nature of it and the B schlock elements presented in such a beautiful and easily digestible way yeah yeah okay well 10 out of 10 josh says buy it and uh i'm i'm glad you guys enjoyed it so much i mean i it's yeah it's it's something isn't it (laughs) right it's something (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's really something like i i cannot wait for carl to watch it over on movie podcast weekly Oh, he's going to hate it, won't he? Just to he, oh yeah, for sure. But just to hear him rant and rave. <laughs> Why do you always like him to watch movies you know he's going to hate? Well, I, I don't <laughs> always, but like sometimes. You always recommend movies to him that you know he's going to hate. <laughs> that's not true. Sometimes I do, just to hear him like go nuts. But, and yeah, this is one that's going to make him go nuts. I know it. But anyways. Um, I want to re- recommend Beyond the Black Rainbow. Okay. To anyone who enjoyed this, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, I won't be watching that then. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay, I would avoid it if I were you. But <laughs> okay. But no, I'm glad for I any, saw. I I'm glad I saw. Anyone Mandy. who said eight or higher, check out Beyond the Black Rainbow. Eight or higher. Okay. There you go. All right. Then that's our review of Mandy. Hope you're all happy. I'm just kidding. And uh, now let's move into our feature <laughs> review of The Devil's Doorway. I believe in God, but doing this kind of work doesn't bring any closer to God. Look around you, John. Do you think God is here in this place? All right, The Devil's Doorway from 2018. 
It is a found footage style movie about two priests who in 1960 pay a visit to uh, what is what they call the Magdalene wash house, I guess, or something like that. I, the Magdalene's something. Um, these, this, uh, these, these houses where nuns were taking in these girls who had been sent there by their family, either, you know, um, unwed mothers, um, a lot of a lot of girls went there who were basically they they weren't wanted by their families anymore. And these Magdalene nuns um, ran a wash house, and the girls worked there almost yeah. as a sort of penance. Laundry. Not, laundry. Like <laughs> yeah. not a bathhouse. Not a bathhouse. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was gonna like say laundry. Magdalene laundry. That's probably what it was. But I I don't know <laughs> if they called it that over there at that time. But anyway, there's a uh, been a reported miracle that a statue of the Virgin Mary has cried blood. And these two priests, uh, one older priest, Father Thomas, and um, his his younger assistant, Father John, uh, visit the, uh, the, the Magdalene, you know, laundry to check this out. Um, Father Thomas, the older priest, is uh, interestingly enough a, a skeptic. He doesn't believe that miracles are real, and he is there to dispel the possibility of this being an actual miracle. Whereas the younger Father John, who is the one with the camera, um, and he's the one who's shooting everything, um, has more of has more faith in it, and and has more of a uh, that something you know that this is believable, but there's something much more sinister going on in this laundry um, as they find out as uh, the movie progresses. Um, and it's really intense. Uh, first off for the, for let's get, you know, for the found footage. And I think one of the things um, people hear found footage and a lot of people immediately just sort of turn off. And to be fair, this is not one of the, I didn't always like what they were doing with the found footage in this movie. Sometimes they made it appear like as if a film was changing. Um, and mm. I don't know if it was as completely successful with the found footage technique. I think it's a movie you could have told in more of a narrative way, although I, I think it, it does. The story itself works with um with the found footage style but i don't i wasn't a big fan of how they carried it off sometimes hmm. um that said though the movie itself you know and, and again having gone to you know catholic school and 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 you know growing up catholic yes the movie you know there, there are certain things about the movie that that resonate with me um but this movie had had a much more profound effect on me than I than I was expecting. And first off, with these Magdalene laundries, you know, if you think about the current scandal um, with the church, with the abuse, mm -hmm. that is simply a, and as bad as it is and it's terrible. It is a stone in the wall of awfulness <laughs> that has gone on with the Catholic Church since, you know, the dawn of uh since since its inception i guess and 
And these Magdalene laundries are definitely one of them. There was another movie about this, not horror or drama, called The Magdalene Sisters, uh, maybe about mm-hmm. 10 years ago or so now, That that's really good and really sort of shines a light on the, what goes on there. I mean, a lot of times this is, and Father Thomas puts it succinctly that, you know, or the, 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 the one nun that they're interviewing, I guess the Mother Superior, who has a really standoffish attitude, is mm-hmm. like this is where the church puts their dirty secrets and they expect us to sweep them under the rug um, because he's, he's like, how many of these how many of these girls have given babies to fathers who were fathers, you know, like like priests. Right. And, yeah. you know, that that's happened a lot. And these girls were then sent off. Um, so that's that's really terrible. And, but with the character of Father Thomas that was what really sort of struck me about this movie. And, and I don't know how, how, you know, Mm. how deep into the looking glass I want to get with this, but having, it it caused me to look back on my own experiences with the Catholic church. Okay. And, you know, father Thomas is, he's like father John calls him doubting Thomas at one point. And that's really what his character is. Not just that a miracle, um, not just in the fact that a miracle could be real, but also in he really has strong opinions of what he's seen the church do. Right. You know, and, and again, this is my experience with the, like there are so many churches out there, so many Catholic churches that are just wonderful. I did not go to a good Catholic church. I went to one where, where the, the nuns and the priests were very, self-righteous so you could never you know there was just no questioning anything and i'm sure that's a a lot of people had similar experiences but it's funny with thomas as i was as it just caused me as i'm watching this movie i'm thinking back on my own experiences and i realized that of the the thousands of masses that i went to and 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 uh being an altar boy and the the may processions and the 40 hours devotion and the, you know, confession, all that stuff. I never felt the work of the divine in any of it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the people and, and, and who were running this church and the way it was being run. It was very, this is how we're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it it was just not a very pleasant experience, and it was not a very pleasant uh, place to be. You know, it wasn't a, pl- a pleasant place to be. They they had the nuns um, who were very much like the nuns in this movie. Um, the priests, unfortunately, were not like the priests in this movie. I would have liked <laughs> to have had these two at our parish, but just such self righteousness, such. We are the reason, you know, almost as if God was an afterthought. And I think a lot of the churches are like that. And I think that's what turned a lot of, there was in some Catholic churches, again, this is my experience. And I know that there were some very good ones out there. So this is not a condemnation of the entire religion, just of my experience with it. Um, It was about the church and God just happened to be the way that they pulled people in. And that is the sort of feeling I was left with this movie. And that's a very personal thing. And I didn't mean to get that personal with this because um, it's not really getting into the movie, but that's the effect that this movie had on me as yeah. I was watching it. And it put me into a little bit of a depression for a while, actually. Oh, that's so. Oh. 
yeah, but it definitely the horror elements are there, and I think they're plentiful. And I think that, um, you know, there's it's it's supernatural, so some of them you you kind of know, okay, um, uh, you kind of know the sort of sort of scares you're going to get, right? But by the same token, there is a lot happening in this movie there there's there's and for if you know it's an hour and 16 minutes but they were able to squeeze quite a bit in here um you know and and go go off into a few different directions did they go off in too many directions not for me i could see some people thinking maybe they tried to jam too much in here with the with the children's the spirits of the children at night and and the the nuns and then the girl chained in the basement and the whole nine yards um but for me, I uh, those elements I thought were at least interestingly interesting enough to to sort of keep me watching. So, Dave, thank you for being so open about that. I think that's amazing. And I just wanted to clarify one thing that you said without of prying, of course. I just wanted to see see what you meant when you said that um, it it put you in a little bit of a depression for a while. Um, are you saying after watching this movie and and the way it reminded you of all of that that that's what did it or or were you saying your experience and how you were disappointed with your experience well anyway. it it was it was the movie definitely brought it to the forefront and it was the character of father thomas gotcha okay. uh, in particular that had done it so it was so i guess the movie was uh the that's what sparked it Wow. Um, and I, and I was just thinking of my experiences with a lot of what, and then all these things just came rushing back and, you know, it, it's, it's just, I guess the depressing part was it was meant to be a different experience. My parents meant it to be a much different experience for mm. me. Yeah. They really thought they were doing what was right and good at the time. Right. They just happened to pick the wrong church to do it at. And really, because like Father Thomas, I, there was just, there was no, I can't remember a single moment in all of the religious upbringing, the classes, everything, where I felt the work of any divine being in any of it. It was all just very sort of remote, and not remote, that's not the right word. It was all just very, it was self-serving of the church, and it was just you you should serve the church because if you don't god's going to get you you know and there was that that haughty arrogance about it all not yeah. all there were some good people in there but for the most part that was how the church was run and and it's a shame and i didn't get the experience that other people did some people might have had a wonderful experience with their catholic upbringing i think both of my parents did um and they wanted that for us they just happened mm -hmm. to move into a neighborhood where the parish just just it just wasn't good I see. Well, that's interesting, Dave. I love I, I love always getting your take on these religious films because so many of them deal with Catholicism and having not had any experience with it. It's always fascinating for me to kind of hear your take on the way it's handled. And, yeah. and I think it's interesting that that character of Thomas was so effective for you. He was for me, too. I thought he and the actor who plays Thomas... Um, What's his name? Lalor Roddy. He was he was one of the drunks in Grabbers, which was a really oh, fun wow. movie. I, <laughs> and I really enjoyed him in that movie. He's also right. in Hunger. 
Um, but but he was fantastic in this. I thought he was so good in this. And it's an interesting movie. I think there's so much to respond to because you said so, so much amazing stuff. I guess I'll just start at the start of your comments about the found footage. I think it's an interesting use of found footage. The thing I'm, I mostly appreciate about this is that the director, Ashling Clark, thought to say, so I guess the way, as I understand it, she was brought the film and they said, hey, we want to do a found footage movie in these Magdalene laundries. And so these are a real thing. And they existed in a lot of other churches all over Europe, as far as I know. I mean, I think it's just a common thing in, in a lot of religious traditions that when a young girl gets pregnant, you know, they send her away so nobody finds out. That's just unfortunately something that has happened throughout history. Um, I know someone who happened had that experience in the Mormon church, you know, and a young lady got pregnant. And she got sent on a vacation to Hawaii for nine months and then came back. You know, Josh, what, what was her name? Say her name. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just messing. Go ahead. Sorry. But, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a thing that happens and um, came back, you know, and had to give her baby up for adoption and nobody in the local congregation knew exactly what happened. Obviously people had, you know, there were rumors going around as to what had transpired. But when I was in Holland, I came across the Dutch Reformed Church had uh, a, a whole set of buildings in an alleyway behind the, the cathedral. It was beautiful, but it was, you know, this little courtyard and everything. But it was uh, these houses where they would send underage, you know, teenage pregnancies, basically, to live there while they were going through their, their pregnancy. In Ireland, as I understand it, um, it and it went on, I believe, until the 1960s, which is way late, like a hundred years later than it did in a lot of other places. Um, it, you know, the Catholic Church there was, it was pretty abusive to these women, and as as I understand, all of the stuff that's depicted in the movie, the starving them, chaining them up, putting them in the basement, was all historically accurate to things they think happened in Ireland and in Dublin in 1993, they found a mass grave of 155 bodies um, that the Catholic church has since um, apologized for and tried to make reparations to those families and stuff for Wow, everything wow. that happened there. So what are you? I'm sorry. Are, a mass grave of 133 bodies in Dublin. So are you saying or, or, inferring or whatever that word is that that they were offed possibly allegedly yeah yeah wow and that that's the assumption in this film as well that um something fishy is going on and people don't know now i don't know the details of that i, I haven't spent time to research it you know the question is are these young women that were thrown in this mass grave or were these the babies that were um that were offed you know we don't know in the film doesn't go too far in explaining itself. As, as I recall, my experience was, and I think part of that has to do with the found footage format because you are only seeing it from this one character's point of view. And I, so I do think that's a limitation on a story like this, because I do think this is a really rich world in which to set a horror film. And I think there's so many other avenues you could have explored really to get into the history and the, 
texture and detail of this world would have been fascinating from my point of view. Another film we're going to talk about in a minute really does like explore all the nooks and crannies of a cult. I feel like this film really could have done that well. It doesn't because of the way it's presented, but what's fascinating, sorry, what I was going to say initially about the way they use found footage is this director was approached to do a doc, uh, found footage movie within the Magdalene laundry world, but they were going to set it in present day. And what the director said is, no, let's take this back to the height of this in the sixties and let's shoot it on technology that existed at that time. So the film is shot on 16 millimeter film and yeah. And which is awesome. And they, whenever possible, they used equipment from that era for audio and for the film camera and then sometimes they had to use newer equipment just because of access and because it was a low budget film. And when, when there were excessive digital visual effects, they shot those scenes on HD and then tried to match the look. But as I understand it, the majority of the film shot on 16 millimeter, which wow. I love as a concept for found footage. I yeah. think, you know, we saw a little bit of that in wow. the Blair Witch, one of the cameras that in that film is super 16. Um, this isn't black and white. That would have been interesting. <laughs> and mm. and they're not totally consistent as far as I can tell. It seems like at one point there are two cameras. At another point, there's one camera. I don't know if, Dave, if you had a sense of that. Um, they yeah, tried well, to do some I kind could, of yeah. things with the light bulb. It and, did. Yeah, yeah, it did. And every time the light would flicker, that was the thing. It's like you're sort of bracing yourself. Okay, there's probably going to be a jump scare here. And, yeah. and it, but it, But it wasn't as often as I was expecting, I'll give him that. You know, I was expecting that every yeah. single time that light flickered to something like that might happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen every single time. So. And I'm finding, and I like, I prefer that to yeah. so many of the found footage movies have like this digital disruption that happens mm-hmm. as you get closer and closer to the end of the movie, you have more and more g- digital disruptions. And then you barely see a glance of what it is. And this, this, somewhat follows that convention but it's i love that it's on film and it has like a real light bulb issue that's that's like coming in and off and on and that is more reminiscent to me of the motion detector scene in halloween or uh, victor crowley that i loved those scenes so much and this plays with that in an interesting way i do think a lot of people are going to see this and be like i don't get what's the big deal it's just a typical found footage supernatural movie just filled with all the same tropes and I think you could say that, but I do think there's a richer, deeper level going on here. Look at the content of what it's saying about these young women and, and the world that they were living in all of the different themes playing out with the priests and the nuns and the two priests have different stories. And I, I think those things are adding an additional richness to the movie that I think would be easy to dismiss if you know you're a hater of found footage. I think if you don't like found footage movies. I don't know that this is going to change your mind, but if you are tolerant of found footage movies, I think this is a really cool one, a really great example of the use of found footage. An interest, you know, it doesn't do anything to break through with the format, except in the sixties they have certain scenes where the camera isn't rolling and they're just using a reel to reel tape recorder, which I loved the way they did that stuff. 
There are a lot of locked off, you know, tripod shots, which you don't, you know, one of the big complaints of found footage is the shaky cam. And this doesn't really have that. There's some handheld stuff in it and it gets, you know, goes that direction eventually because ultimately that is like what these found footage movies become, right? Is like the last man with a camera standing usually is kind of like the, the way right. these all end. Frantically th- running about. Yeah. Right. And that just, I don't know. Someone needs to do something about changing that up. But I think this, I think my one complaint with this, with this movie is I think it had because of the location, because of the world that it takes place in, I had an opportunity to really change up the found footage format because you have priests who very similarly to the movie we t- discussed before day of final prayer are coming to investigate a miracle um, right. and are, and so they're here to document it. and, and setting that in the past and love that idea of it has again, like mm-hmm. calls to mind the Warrens and the conjuring universe or the nun. Yes. More recently, um, the, the relationship this priest has to his religion is very reminiscent to me of the exorcist. And there is a character here who is dealing with possession. And so you're definitely going to see elements of final prayer. It is almost like if you took like final prayer, the exorcist and the nun and put them in a blender uh, and, you know, and this is, this is what you would get essentially, you know, uh, but I right, like all th- of those things. And threw in the Magdalene sisters with a dash of yeah. horror. Yeah, definitely. But I like all those things. And so I, I think this is interesting and I, you know, it's, I don't know that it's breakthrough, but I think number one, this is a first time filmmaker. And so that makes me very hopeful of Ashleen Clark, I feel like, oh wow, she could really be someone to watch for. Like she could, she could be one of our great horror directors in the year to come. This is her first feature, and that's exciting. And again, I just I love films set in the world of religion. I love the exploration of faith, and um, and I love these priest type characters like we get in the Nun and and the Exorcist, and not to put those two films in the same sentence again but um yeah i I quite enjoyed myself this film but again i think if this is a movie people could be like i don't get it what's the big deal it's just like yeah i could i could really see people feeling like this was a flat film going experience if they are not willing to kind of look deeper but aren't people raving about this one i mean i'm hearing when it first came out in the festival circuit i heard people raving about it i think as it's become more commercially available Mm -hmm. i i feel like audience response has gone down from like a more mainstream audience you know what i mean okay i got you but critics like it as far as i can tell i think on rotten tomatoes it's one of those films where like the critics it's like fresh from the critics and rotten from the Mm. right i think i think audiences are just looking and well i can't say i mean because like you're saying josh it's not the most groundbreaking as far as the horror elements or or so forth but there is it is a richer world and there is more there is a lot going on here there's 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 a lot happening in this in this magdalene laundry um from and and it seems like everyone's involved and you're and you're thinking at the same time no one's involved. I mean, you don't know exactly what's happening and, and, but there's always something. I mean, I probably would have been out of that place 20 minutes into the movie <laughs> after the first two or three things that happened. Um, but, and then just a lot more, they just pile it on and on and on. And even the place itself is much more sinister than you ever imagined once they get down into the bowels of it. 
So was it just, scary to you, Dave? It, it was scary. Yeah, it, it was. Okay. But again, um, you know, the supernatural and that's a lot of what this is um, works on me. So there's that. And also I'm not I don't mind the find, found footage format. I think it's still a viable format that can be can. Um, you know, it was done to death for a while there, but and you don't see as as many now. At least I haven't seen as many. Mm-hmm. I know they're still around several every year, um, but it still is a viable format if used correctly. Um, there were some things about it, like I said at the beginning, that I didn't, that I had a few problems with. I think you could have done it narratively, but the fact that there are also some conversations where you don't hear completely what's going on where some things happen behind a closed door that the character's not there does add a little bit to the, to the sinister nature mm-hmm. of the story. Mm. Gotcha. All right. So um, what do you guys, uh, where do you come in at then for ratings? What about you, Wolfman? Yeah, I quite enjoyed this one. <clears throat> I think again, it's not super breakthrough, but I think the world is so fascinating. I love it. I would have liked more. I think that is the one limitation of the gun footage format is they could have gone further had it been a traditional narrative film and really explored the world more given what we've been given i think it's a great use of the found footage format i think it's fine um it's an interesting use because of the use of of film that to me is something to appreciate they've got as i understood that this is was a really low budget film and they were able to find three real locations to play this one kind of convent or or, or church, or I don't know what you call these places. The, the, I guess the laundry where the, the movie takes place um, with just three real existing locations. They were able to kind of create all of this on almost no budget. So that is really impressive to me is this looks like extremely production designed. If I were to guess, like it, it looks great for um, what is, I guess was a low budget. Mm. I don't feel like the visual effects were lacking either. Uh, the performances are strong. So overall, this is a really great little film. Um, I think it is a little film, but I, I would recommend people check it out. I, I'm going to come in kind of high on it probably for most audiences taste because I'm so in love with the religious aspect of it. I'm going to give it an eight, um, but I'm going to call it a rental. And I would say um, it's a strong rental recommendation for me. You can get it on Amazon and probably other places. And I would say to check it out okay, if well, you like mm-hmm. found footage. Man, Josh says eight out of 10. It's a strong rental. And just a little film trivia for the, the listeners out there in case they don't know. When you take um, various places and then like kind of edit them together as if it's the same place, that is called creative geography. Okay, Dave, what's your, uh, what's your rating? All right. Um, <laughs> for the film itself and everything that happens in it, um, I would probably give it I would give it a 7.5 and I say it's a rental. I think it's worth seeing once, but I'm actually going to give it an 8.5 just because of the effect that it had on me. And it's almost as if that, that, that father Thomas character was sort of designed. I don't want to say that's what the movie was intending. It's the way it affected me. And I've not been able to get this movie out of my head since seeing it three days ago. Um, and just looking over and because it caused me to look over my own experience. So for me personally, I'm going to go 8.5, but as a recommendation to everyone, it would, you know, as my normal recommendation would be 7.5, but either way, it's a rental and definitely worth seeing at least once. Okay. 8.5 out of 10 rental. 
That's the Devil's Doorway from 2018. And uh, you guys sold me. I, I'd, I'd actually like to see this. I'm intrigued. I remember when we were watching Final Prayer, there was an, uh, an older priest there that was also kind of disillusioned with, you know, tricksters that had kind of been trying yes. to play these pranks. And in that film, mm-hmm. he talks about a previous experience that had gone bad. And I remember Dave and I lamenting, like, man, we'd really like to watch that movie. Like, I'd watch the prequel to Final Prayer, also known yeah, as the Yeah, this Border is almost movie. like that. This yeah, is, yeah, this it is feels like, like another, that. it feels like another kind of entry in that world. So right. I like that. Very, mm-hmm. That's very true, yeah. I think these films are so freaky on some level because you're, I guess you, you just assume, or you would hope that these, um, Deeply religious people, these devout people, you know, it would be a safe space. It's kind of like the same thing like in The Shining when, you know, the the father is, the person who is supposed to be your protector is actually trying to kill you. I mean, I think, I think anytime you have something like that where, where the, those that are supposed to be safe are actually the most unsafe Powerful. And I'll tell you what, and I, I, just to give you a quick example, and I don't want to go too, I'm not going to take too long with this, but I was in, 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 in high school. I went to a Catholic high school. Um, and this is away from the church that I grew up, you know, I grew up at. Cause once you get to high school, there's like six, seven churches all sending kids there. Um, but I had an experience. There was this one nun, um, uh, shorter, shorter lady, a little bit, you know, squat, and one of her roles was that she was the liaison uh, between the faculty and the student council. And there was a girl who was the, she had a, a, a position in the student council. And I'll tell you what, she was, she was, she was pretty. She was friendly. She was always smiling. She was like one of like those girls that I think every guy sort of had a crush on. But yet she was just always talking to you. She has just had a great personality. She would usually come back from meetings with this nun crying. All right. And, you know, you, you never really thought much of it because the nun was known to be a, a bit rough and a bit mean. Um, and everyone's had exp- had had experiences with her this way. Walking down the hall one time, I saw this girl talking with this nun and all of a sudden, the girl, and I don't know what they were talking about, she just starts to sob. And as she's sobbing, her head drops, and I see the nun give a hint of a smile. It's almost as if that's what she's trying to get out of this girl every time. And I'll tell you, it sent a slight chill up my spine. Mm. Because you realize that this is somebody who should not be near children. Mm. And yet that's exactly what they're having her do. And she almost like she wanted to be this liaison. Um, it's, it was just, it was just a really terrible thing. And, you know, you get that. I don't know. Every time I see a movie about with, with nuns and so forth, and these nuns in this movie have the attitude that this nun had in particular. Wow. Wow. One one other sorry, Dave, to change the topic after such an amazing story. I just wanted to mention really quick before we move no on. Um, yep. The other film that this kind of reminded me of is The Haunting. We're going to talk about The Haunting of Hill House later on. Um, the, the original film, The Haunting, the way that handles kind of like ghostly sounds out in the hallway. I feel like this movie did that a bit as well. I was reminded of that film hmm. in a couple. Of yeah, scenes. definitely, 
definitely. That's neat. Okay, well, thanks, guys, for covering The Devil's Doorway. Really appreciate it. And uh, Dave, I know it's uh, 1230 for you. Do you have time for the Screaming Online segment? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's move into Screaming Online. Okay, this week on Screaming Online, we are going to talk about Apostle from 2018, which is a Gareth Evans film. Gareth Evans best known for being the director of the Raid action movies. Mm -hmm. And so quite a departure for him from what we're used to. We have a period piece set at the turn of the century about a young man whose sister has gone missing. She's been tangled up in a cult on an isolated island in the Northern Atlantic. And so he's going to need to go and investigate and try to bring her home. It has a very Wicker Man vibe about it. If I was going to compare it to one movie, that would that would be the movie. Mm-hmm. As, as it begins, you know, it's very similar kind of setup. This guy going to infiltrate a cult and on an island to try to find a missing person. <laughs> but it goes a lot of places. You ooh, That was okay. super creepy. That was my phone telling me. Time for bed, <laughs> but it's still set to uh, mm-hmm. my alarm. Still set standard to time, pretty standard time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it goes a lot of other places that the Wicker Man doesn't go, and it's a very slow burn for the first forty minutes or so, and then this extremely crazy, violent scene happens, and you're like, "Wow, that was intense." I wonder if the rest of the movie is going to be like this, and it, you have no idea. Like it goes so far, I could not believe where this movie ended up. Uh, at the by the end from where I thought it was going for the first 40 minutes so mm-hmm. in that way it also was kind of reminiscent of the Wicker Man which just kind of ramps and ramps and ramps and ramps but um, yeah movies that this kind of brought to mind the ritual there was a recent film we talked about the ruins <laughs> film we talked about but um, this was pretty fascinating experience it's stars a couple of interesting actors dan stevens who is not a guy i've always been a fan of i know he's popular amongst horror fans because you know he was in the guest which was a very popular film with horror fans Mm -hmm. and you know he's best known probably to to mainstream audiences from um, his new role on legion and uh, downtown abbey but yeah, for me, I just had never really gotten into him, I guess, as an actor. And I was very impressed with him in this movie. I thought he did a great job mm-hmm. um, carrying this film. We also have a small role that I thought was excellent from Bill Milner, who is kind of the main little boy from Son of Rambo, if you guys saw that movie. Uh, he also plays young Eric in the X-Men, kind of first-class version of the X-Men universe. And... I think the f- one that surprised me the most was um, that we got a visit <laughs> in this film from Michael Sheen, who I think, yeah, honestly, this might be my favorite Michael Sheen performance. He's the cult leader. He's the prophet of this cult. And I mm-hmm. thought he was unbelievable in this role. I thought he was so good in this role. I agree. Um, I bet there you. with David Frost from Frost Six, And this was my favorite Michael <laughs> Sheen performance. <laughs> I'm so, um, totally with yeah, you. a really interesting film that builds and takes twists and turns in terms of 
the style of film you think you're watching. I think it is constantly surprising in that way. I will say again, I feel like this might be a little overlong for most audiences, but for me, I, I quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. For the first hour, it kind of just seems like a, a drama mystery, like investigation yeah. type thing. And I'm like, is this yeah, really I kept a- checking online? Like, wait, is this really a horror movie? Yeah. Like, I kept, I checked like IMDb and I checked like Rotten Tomatoes and I checked like, is this, are you sure this is a horror movie? Exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah, Ryan had watched this on movie podcast weekly and he said, I really love it. And so he recommended it to me. And, um, what, what hooked me was he said, he said, and I, th- I, I see this in it. He said, it, it reminded him a lot of the village, except, you know, it's, it goes horror. It's much darker and, um, more unsettling. And, and I agree with that. I mean, I do see, it's like, if we did a, like a really hardcore ferocious version of the village, but with a different kind of story somewhat, I, I could see this being there. But well, you know what it reminded me of was our witches episode that that we did, and it reminded me of the movie that Dave and I talked about, Mark of the Devil. Like this goes full Mark of the Devil at a certain point in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Dave, you saw this one too, right? What'd you think? I did. I loved this movie. I absolutely loved it. I I didn't mind the ramp up at the beginning. Like you, I was wondering if it was going to be a horror film at the, at, at first, but the cinematography in this film is remarkable. It really is just a beautifully shot movie. The performances are strong. Like you were saying, you had, um, especially with, with Michael Sheehan. I mean, one of the interesting things about it, I think, is that you take what you know about most cult leaders the movie seems to confirm and then it takes, it goes off in another direction. And I really like that about it as well. You know, where you have these preconceptions of these, of these leaders of the cult um, and you find out what they've done and, and things that they've done to sort of protect themselves and their land, as opposed to the right thing to do. Um, and the story itself, I think, and yeah, the, the the movie does go crazy. I mean, it's it's insane with some of the with with some of the violence and and you're right. You, this is another one of those films where from the start you can't predict where it's going to end up. And I liked that whole sort of they, the 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 idea that these three guys came to this island and made this discovery that you know what had given them so much was taking it away from them. Yeah, I loved this movie. I really did. I mean, I had I, I was really drawn into it, and and it uh, this is another one over two hours that did not seem like it was over two hours to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y- you know when this movie started, and I I gathered that okay, um, they're going to this cult, and we are going to encounter a cult leader. To speak to Josh's earlier point, I was before I even realized that Michael Sheen was in this. I'm like. Oh boy, I, I hope, I hope it has a strong actor for the cult leader because that, that's what you need. Cause like in the sacrament, um, you had Gene Jones, who was like the, the Jim Jones type guy. And then you had, in red state, you had Michael Parks. And so I think it's really crucial that, that, that cult leader is a charismatic person or someone who just has the ability to command attention and respect and influence and, 
I'm with you, Josh. I think this might be one of my favorite Michael Sheen roles as well. And in fact, um, not to bring up a a sore subject, but <laughs> like I I feel like he as great of an actor as he is, I feel like he's pretty bad in in the Twilight movies. Unfortunately, mm. not is he in the Twilight movies. Yes, he yes he is. He's like the the head the lead vampire. Over at the Volturi or whatever they're called. I, don't I remember him in the Underworld. He's in the Underworld movies. Yeah, he's an Underworld movie. Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember him from. Well, I, I never mind. I haven't seen a single Twilight, so I'm. I can't talk <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> but you know what? I, I I agree with you. I I really have loved him in drama movies, but I don't think he's been great in the horror movies I've seen him in. So I was very pleasantly surprised that he brought it big time in this movie. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and in fact, like I was almost, I was almost mixed up on you know, who he was for some reason. I couldn't place him, but well, uh, he looks more buff than he normally does. You know, he yeah, looked, he he looked like um, like the guy who plays Schmeagel. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um Andy uh, Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I thought it was Andy Circus at first. I was like, "Oh, Andy Circus is in this?" Totally. Because he had like a thicker, muscular look than he usually does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely have similar uh you're right, similar uh, looks and boy, yeah. And now that you think of it, it could have been Andy Circus, but <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. You know who else is in this whom I love and adore is uh Lucy Boynton. She's she is so great. I, I I basically yeah. like her in everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, seeing her in this actually, because I'm fond of that actress and she does a good job in her role, that raises and increases the stakes. Uh, yeah. All of the young female in this movie were really strong. Mm-hmm. As well. Yeah. Yeah. That's I true. Mentioned them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, one thing that I love about this film, and I'll, I'll be careful, like this this is a movie, just so people know, that has some surprises to it. So be really careful about, you know, any reviews you read or if I, I, I haven't seen the trailer, but I wouldn't watch a trailer on this one because I could see that really being spoiled. But um, this goes some places and I think you guys know what I mean and Dave referenced earlier that I... <laughs> I find to be very uh, creepy and unsettling. And like, I know that something like that could go either way. You could be like, is that dumb or is it not dumb? And for me, it's not dumb. It's, it's seriously uh, a troubling and and a deeply kind of horrifying thing that were you guys affected that way by it? Did it scare you a little? In a, in a, I want to say I don't think it's a spoiler to say it like this and I've already mentioned the ruins I think mm-hmm. there is an element of this you know there's been a bit of a controversy already over Jay's next themed episode pick and one of our loyal listeners who loves to give us feedback Juan said you know what is this agricultural horror and um, about Jay's next themed pick and I think this film has a little bit of agricultural horror in it as well. So right. I like that. <laughs> yes. I love that you just gave yeah. a little teaser there because because that'll get people intrigued if they don't know. And then we're going to tease it more later on. So maybe they'll <laughs> keep listening. But um, yeah. But yeah, I'm so excited about that. Um, <laughs> 
So were you, did you think it was freaky, Josh, or did you think it was dumb? I'm of two minds about it. I feel like where they went with the cult stuff, I would have liked, you know, I kept thinking about the movie, The Ritual, because I loved everything about that movie, except for I just felt like they didn't delve deep enough into that cult. And I felt like, well, this movie is like, gives you so much cult. I don't know if I needed quite this much explanation um, that, you know, on the other end of the scale of mm-hmm. the spectrum. So I liked it. I didn't need it. I felt like there was enough there going on already. You know, Dave, I think mentioned this with our review of the devil's doorway. Like it was there too much packed into this movie. This movie has a lot and it keeps evolving. Um, there's also this great intercult relationship between some of the characters, you know, the, the character of um, Quinn played by Mark Lewis Jones. It very much reminded me of, children of the corn. And I think that children of the corn also seems like taught like thematically very um, much a part of the DNA of this movie as well. in in a lot of ways, but I I love that you have that dynamic between the cult, different cult members and leaders that you have in that film. And I love that, um, you know, there is possibility for this to grow beyond that as well. And I think all of those elements are very fascinating in a movie like this. Uh, I agree with you on that 100%. And here's why. A lot of times, like, when when you see, like, documentaries or read about, like, real-life cults, there will be some, typically, there's some dissension in the ranks. There are some people who who struggle, you know, like, whether it's the crisis yeah. of faith or interpersonal struggles with the leadership and so forth. And so I love that. That that really gave it an air of authenticity to me. Mm-hmm. And and Quinn's, you know, all, all the subplots that surround him uh, are just, um, just really fascinating and devastating. And wow, I mean, I mm-hmm. I was pulled in by that stuff. And what about the tool? I'm I'm gonna call them tools, quote unquote. <laughs> the various instruments, the mechanical types of. <laughs> there there are some serious like horror type tools implements. yes yeah. implements in this and i and i was very surprised by those yeah, it's almost like a like a museum of of ancient uh, uh torture what was that what was that silent movie was it haxon mm-hmm. where they yeah. they showed those things um but this is even like more horrific than some of what they were showing of these actual like said, implements full mark of the devil here <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely right. yeah yeah, but um, it verges on a torture film for a good portion of this movie. It really does, and and that's that's surprising, right? Because as we said, the first hour you're like, okay, this is a drama, I guess, and and then it goes like torture in the second hour. So, and see- that's not the extent of the horror either. Is just the is just the torture. Like there's the cult aspect of the horror, and then it goes even further with the horror. Like right, it just was a very surprising movie. Yeah, there's a lot to admire and enjoy about this, I think. And, you know, I I do wish that. See, I'm with Dave. To, I'm with Dave. I like what Dave said about he he enjoyed the whole ramping up of it. And I see that, too, because you're really pulled into this story because you get invested in this rescue mission. You're like, OK, this is extremely dangerous. This guy's going undercover like um, I mean, that's that's freaky 
like like that movie we talked about recently, Children of Sorrow. It's scary to go undercover in a cult and try to rescue somebody because it's just extremely dangerous and you don't want to get on the wrong side of these people. Right. Um, there is a, uh, there's a scene on, in this that actually kind of freaked me out and I'll, I'll just, um, it has to do, there was, there's some very disgusting liquid sludge and, 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 and um, boy, the, the scenes that follow, I mean, I think that's, that's a scary, a scary sequence. I, I just, yeah, I was no, affected. I I was affected I by it. Yep. Anyways, yep. anything else you guys want to say before we move into ratings? Because there's there's not a we can't go into a lot of details, obviously, because of spoilers on this one. But um, anyways, we'll I mean, I think it's a very rich experience. Again, we're dealing with a movie that more so even than the last two movies we, uh, we've talked about. Extremely beautiful location and setting like this one. I'm surprised. I have not heard much about this movie. And and it's I know it's not necessarily a mark against the film to be direct to Netflix at this point. Like obviously Netflix is creating a lot of amazing content that we're going to talk about later. But in their films, my experience is a lot of the times their films are at, like festival acquisitions that didn't sell, and a lot of their series are like original creations. This feels like a major big budget movie, like they did with Bright, like. Mm-hmm. this world is not small. There's not like, it's a very expansive epic scale world for that. This movie takes place in. And I just really appreciated the production design costumes, sets, locations. All of that was really cool to look at. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me, um, cause I, I felt that the way you just described that right there, Reminds me of the way I felt about that movie Brimstone with um, Dakota hmm. Fanning and, and Guy Pierce. I mean, that's a freaking another really good movie. That's it, excellent. It's yeah. super good. Thank you, Dave. Tell tell those dum dums over at Movie Podcast Weekly it's good because I could not convince them that it's a great film, that it really I, is. So, I, I think it made my top 20 last year. Oh, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, I think Brimstone and uh and and this movie here Apostle could be like a double feature or something, but anyways. Yeah, and add that to the director of The Raid and add to that this incredible performance, a series of incredible performances. I'm just surprised this movie isn't like a major buzz film, you know, mm-hmm. like it's pretty impressive. And, and and maybe it's just because for the mainstream it is so it goes so far with like the torture aspects and the potentially i guess um comical horror stuff at the end but for me like comical what do you mean by comical? well you said like it could be dumb or it could be cool okay like i could i could see people taking this like oh that was stupid um okay that's not what i thought necessarily but i but i you know it's like your problem with the conjuring like it could be it could very easily be mocked in a scary movie (laughs) franchise (laughs) Okay, yeah, I see that. I see it. But having said all of that, like, I I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, there was, there's the first scene that I mentioned. I think it was like at the 40 minute mark or so. I'm trying not to be a clock watcher like Jay, but he's kind of trained me now that I'm like, okay, well, when did this happen? When did this happen? Um, There's this interesting moment that's pretty violent at the 40 minute mark. And I was like, whoa, like that looks like it's from the director of the raid. And I think how fun to bring something that, 
uh, high octane, even though it's just in a moment to a movie set in this period, 1905, when this movie is set on the, you know, in the location that it's set. This is super cool. Like I want to see more of that kind of stuff. And really he doesn't really deliver on a much action for, you know, what he's known for previous to this. So I thought, well, this is really a director expanding his palette and showing what he can do. But I really appreciated the moments of action we got because he really knows what he's doing in that, in that context as well. Right. Well, he did do that segment in VHS two. It was called safe Haven. Right. That's right. And, um, so I'm I'm just, yeah, but, but, but I mean, even the drama and the, you know, the period aspect of all that, I mean, it feels, it feels like a real growth as a filmmaker. Right. Yeah. I see that from the raid movies. Well, for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, maybe it's the because I wondered about that too. Like, like two things. I wondered if okay, when people saw that this was called Apostle, like, are they thinking Robert Duvall's The Apostle, which, by the way, is in my top ten of all time movies. It's not a horror movie, but I just I'm freaking obsessed with that film. But but I wondered if and I'm like nah nobody's gonna remember that 1997 Robert Duvall movie. But then I'm like okay well do people think this is just like a religious film? Because like Andy always says, I don't watch religious films, right? So I don't I don't know if that <laughs> throws them off or like the cover art, which I think is very artistic and and nicely done. But I could see why a horror fan might might not. I don't know. I I don't know if they would. It's take, weird because, it, yeah, it is a nice piece of art, but it's a really bad movie poster. It just looks like a really cheap movie poster for some reason. Yeah. So look at it. It's a great piece. It's a nice, it's a nice picture. <laughs> like it's a nice image, but it just, something about it looks like bad Amazon Prime, you know. Right. Right. Selection. And and I think that's why, and, and, and it's just streaming on Netflix, watch instantly. And so I think yeah. that people are just, well, there's such a glut, so many options, you know, and, and so I think that they're just passing it over. So, you know, the title, the cover art, and it's just so readily available. And that's unfortunate because this film is definitely worth your time. For me, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there right now. This is an 8 out of 10. And I say definitely stream it on Netflix. Um, and I'd, get, I'd say it's a strong, a strong recommendation, strong rental. Um, what do you say, Dr. Shock? Well, uh, for everything you've said, the performances, uh, the cinematography, again, as I mentioned, and the fact that, yes, the sets, set pieces and, and um, the costumes really did have make me believe this was set in 1905. He recaptured that or he captured that perfectly. Um, and just how insane the story gets. I mean, uh, I'm going to go with a 9.5. <laughs> And I'm going to say it's I don't know that it's one you're going to get a chance to own. And that's one of the things. I mean, it's funny because we're living in a, in a in an age now where you can almost say, and I think I've said this to you guys before, it's almost like a golden age of horror because mm-hmm. you have so much of it. You and, and you have. With the streaming online, now you get more than you would have gotten otherwise. You get these festival films that we may have never seen. And as a collector it depresses me a little to know that I will probably never own apostle, mm. but that doesn't prevent me from, from recommend recommending it to absolutely everybody, you know, and I just have to come to terms with the fact that this is a different age. 
um, and and both are the streaming and and the collecting are viable and just as important. And uh, if you if you dismiss one or the other, you're going to be missing some great movies. So it's a nine point five. And I, and I request to Netflix to release it on DVD. I know it might go against <laughs> their model. I don't know that they ever will. I'm still waiting for Hush <laughs> to come out, <laughs> yeah. which was in my top 10, and I don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, I this is, a, this is one you definitely have to see. Okay, 9.5. Dave says stream it, and if you can ever buy it, it sounds like it's a buy for you, huh, Dave? One day. Absolutely. Fingers Absolutely. Crossed. Hey, Wolfman Josh, where do you come in on Apostle? I liked it as well. I do think it maybe does try to do a bit too much. And I, and I, even though I didn't mind the first 40 minutes, I, I'm happy to watch a drama occasionally. I did feel like they could have gotten there a little bit quicker for my taste. And so, um, yeah, I don't know about the ending. I, I honestly hadn't thought about the ending being dumb. I, I can see that now <laughs> and, I, and I can see it maybe bother me a little bit, but uh, yeah, for me, this is an eight. I think this is a really strong film. I wish there were more people talking about it uh, because I just am so impressed with this director and you know, how much his style has changed um, from what he usually does and excited to see what he does next. Hopefully he'll stay in the horror playground sandbox <laughs> for a little while longer because i thought that was a lot of fun so yes definitely a stream it so josh i i hope that my question to you about do you think this is silly i i hope that didn't make you start thinking well is it silly i hope that because that that would backfire oh, it did, yeah uh-oh it did a <laughs> i feel terrible but... sorry gareth no, evans <laughs> Well, I, I have to confess, I <laughs> finished watching this immediately before we recorded this episode, so I was still kind of forming my thoughts about this movie as we were reviewing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very fresh experience for me. Right. So it might change down the line, but yeah, I, I hadn't quite thought about any kind of silly aspect of this, but you know, there were definitely agricultural horror films that came to mind for me, and <laughs> I thought that was fine. Mm. And and when we say that, people, just so the listeners are clear, we're not talking about the happening. Not exactly. I mean, we're not talking like that. So no. give no, apostle. We're not talking about a, a confused Marky Mark walking around with plants attacking him. No, nothing like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, agricultural horror is a big, <laughs> it's a big topic. I mean, we, they're definitely under the same umbrella. <laughs> Right. Yes. Well, and, and but like, they should throw, but they should throw the happening out into the rain. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so that's Apostle. Now, Josh, if you if if you walked into Walmart one day and saw this on Blu-ray, would you buy it? I think so. It it depends on what the cover art had been updated to at that point. Like a Scream Factory came along and did a nice looking release. I would. Oh, they I could do. They could do something cool. amazing with this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see this get a, a legitimate Blu-ray release, you know, but. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, I trust that the listeners, if they haven't already, I trust that after hearing our review, they'll give this a, they'll give this a whirl, and I'd love to hear what they think about Apostle. It's on Netflix, so go check it out. 
Okay, Dave, it's um, almost one o'clock for you. You got to be at work at three. This you- is this is what I wanted. I got a lot of sleep before, and if I get one more hour, I think I'll be okay. So. All right. Well, tell the. Right, you want me to give my outro or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we appreciate you for joining us, and uh, tell the listeners where they can catch up with you. All right, uh, dvdinfatuation.com. Nothing new added there since number twenty five hundred, and um, my new plan is to wait until May to do another review. I am enjoying my. But hey, there's 2,500 movie reviews there. That's you can right. Check there's 2,500 you can do. And I'm <laughs> really enjoying my time of just delving into movies. I mean, this Halloween, I was able to do a 13 movie marathon of films that I had reviewed very, some of them I had reviewed very early on to catch up with them. And um, that was great to just be able to just sit there and, and, and watch a movie again. Um, and I'm really enjoying getting into these um, these 2018 releases as well. And that's going to be my focus for the next, well, three, four months getting right up into the Oscars, I guess. But for horror until we get our top 10 list, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I just have a lot that I want to see before I think about and a lot of stuff I want to do also before sitting down and, and thinking about writing another review. So, um yeah, but check out dvdinfatuation.com, at dvdinfatuation on Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook and an Instagram. Don't bother with Instagram. I don't think I checked it. I, I could have messages there. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, also uh, other podcasts, the We Deal in Lead Western podcast, the Universal Monsters, which I know Josh had sent out a tweet is going to be making its comeback in 2019. With a vengeance. Um, nice. With a vengeance, Exactly. And uh, the Land of the Creeps with Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, Justin Beam, and uh, and everyone else who joins us. And and speaking of Halloween, didn't you say that you guys have the uh, Halloween 2018 episode posted oh, yeah. over there? Yes, absolutely. That's that's been posted as well. And Justin was on that one as well. And it was interesting to hear him and and Greg. They didn't really argue per se, but Greg definitely agreed with Justin's points, but loved the movie anyway. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Greg is definitely a, a Halloween fanatic. Um, always <laughs> yeah, will David, be. Greg had seen the movie three times. Yeah, at the last time that I saw. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That that sounds about right for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Nice. Okay, Dave. Well, uh, be careful driving to work. Hope you get a little bit of rest. And uh, thanks for being here. I should thank you guys. Have a good night. All right, and at this point in episode 160 of Horror Movie Podcast, I get a little uh, special mini-review here, and this is thanks to Vicious Victor, actually. So I just want to tell that guy thank you right up front. So <laughs> he's probably he probably stopped listening after that, <laughs> you know, after that episode when he was on, so he probably didn't even hear that. But, but he really uh, abused the guy, yeah. Well, the thing is, I have this belief where I really think that you should give credit where credit's due if somebody, like, recommends something to you. And um, he, he's the one that brought up this film, Asylum Blackout, from 2011. It mm. also has an AKA title, which is The Incident. And the reason he brought it up is because he was talking about um, S. Craig Zoller, um, who's a writer that um, I just love his work. He did Bone Tomahawk, Brawl, in Cell Block 99, and... And, and he also was the writer of Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So anyways, that's how all that came up. And he mentioned this. And let me just tell you, this film has a great premise as far as I'm concerned, Joshua. Check this out. Have you seen this one, by the way? No, and I think I've only heard of it from Victor as well. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe I shouldn't assume that you hadn't seen it because I know you're you're uh, well-read in the cinematic arts. <laughs> Anyways, okay, this is directed by Alexandra Cortez. Um, and basically, you got this group of cooks, okay? And they're in a band, which, Josh, you know you love that. Because it, it reminds me a little yeah. bit like, you know how Green Room has that band vibe well this is this is a guys in a band and like most bands they don't get along super well anyway alex cortez is best known as a music video director as well mostly for u2 music videos oh um, impressive but he also did alice in chains and a few others nice i'm impressed you knew that um because i did not <laughs> but but this band they their day job is uh their cooks at this asylum for the criminally insane. And and so, yeah. And what happens is, you know, they show up for work and there's a terrible, like, storm, like a thunderstorm or something. And the power goes out and they end up getting locked inside with the inmates who are criminally insane. And they start to overtake the place. And everybody's locked in. And so basically it's um it's almost like an inverse of <laughs> of uh the siege narrative because like the monsters, quote unquote, are already on the inside. And so uh, Josh, it's let me just say this this gets pretty intense. Like the, the, there's some crazy stuff in this. Hmm. And my favorite aspect next to the the premise itself is the actual um, the, the casting. I know a lot of times we don't give like shout outs to like casting directors or whatever. <laughs> but but honestly, I'm going to try and look up the casting director on this. Okay, yeah, they had like, looks like it was three different people. Dorianne Flamond, Kelly Valentine Hendry, and Victor Jenkins. Well done. This cast, it's like... The people that they put in these various roles <laughs> did such a great job. And so those two elements I love. Now, my biggest gripe, the reason this thing isn't like a 10 out of 10 for me is because, unfortunately, it's called Asylum Blackout, which means the lights are out. And I know that, oh boy. yeah, in the cinema, there is a way to to film in the dark where you know the audience can still kind of see what's going on but in this case you really can't see very well what's going on and i think that that was probably the intention so you would feel as disoriented and as blind as our protagonists in this but honestly it really annoyed me and it took away from the film which is otherwise just super great so um I don't know that it's something I would definitely recommend to horror fans. I want to thank Vicious Victor again. I, I think that the violence, I mean, it gets pretty nuts, no pun intended. And um, this one's an eight out of 10 for me. And honestly, this is one that I, uh, I actually own it because I, I had, I had to end up ordering it in order to 
see it. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm glad I do own it. So, yeah, I'm giving it an eight despite not being able to see real well what goes on. And for me, it's a buy. <laughs> I think for most people, most of the listeners will probably call it a rental, but I say eight and buy it. But we also might have to buy it to see it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Unless you want to borrow it from me, you can. So, okay. yeah, just let me know. Anyway, are you intrigued? Are you thinking that's... Yeah, I mean, I I am kind of split in my own opinion of S. Craig Zoller. So I I really like what he did with um, Bone Tomahawk. And then there, everything else he's done with the Littlest Reich and... Um, Brawl Cell Block 99. I'm like, I don't know if I like this guy or not. Like, I I don't know. He's an interesting person. He's definitely someone who has my interest, and I'm going to keep watching what he does from here on out. But, yeah, I think just based on the strength of his track record, I'd be interested in checking this one out. Well, yeah, and he has a, I think, the biggest draw, in my opinion, for horror fans with this guy is that he has a real... um <laughs> He has a real eye for severe violence, like extreme violence, and he doesn't shy away from that. And so, so based on the director being a music video director, was that at all noticeable in the way this movie was shot or edited? Was that like a? Yeah, when you when you said that, I could totally see that for sure. I mean, I I, I mean, it made sense. I I wouldn't have thought though on my own. Hey, is this director a music video guy? Like, you know, but like you might if you saw Mandy, you might be like, hey, is this director? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, but, but let me give one more shout out. Um there there's a there's a guy in here, the actor is uh Richard Brake, B-R-A-K-E. And I think people will know him from 31. He was Doomhead, right? Well, so, he was in Mandy that we just talked about tonight. Oh yeah. You're exactly right. Richard Brake was in that. Anyways, he is absolutely chilling in this he has a stare that will like burn a hole in you it, i mean our our main guy our lead guy for some reason this this richard Brake character he plays a a crazy guy who has um a serious beef <laughs> or something he has some issue with our protagonist and he stares him down like you know he eyeballs him hard and so mm. like but honestly it freaked me out. If I were playing in this movie, like just acting, and and that dude was staring at me like that, I would always, I would break. You know, I would break and laugh or something like nervous laughter because <laughs> it's that it's that potent and powerful. But anyways, that's Asylum Blackout, a.k.a. The Incident from 2011. Hope people check it out. Hey, Josh, now let's talk about a little bit of horror TV. And the thing that we've got at the top of our list because everybody's raving about it, is The Haunting of Hill House. Now, just to maybe kick off this little section of horror TV, um, not to change the subject immediately, mm -hmm. but I, there was this tweet from John Squires, who is a writer for Bloody Disgusting, this last week, mm -hmm. and it really stood out to me. I thought it was interesting, because I think it reflects my own... Um, life as well and i thought maybe we could talk about this topic he said the success of horror tv shows continues to fascinate me because literally nobody in the horror circles i run in seem to ever be talking about or watching them the purge for example has been non-existent on my social feeds but has actually been a huge hit for usa go figure and so he was 
posting that um, with a quote retweet uh, about USA having renewed the purge for a second season. And we had some listeners, you know, tweet at us recently. I believe it was Michael Rodriguez. I'm not, I have to check that, but like, is this the golden age of horror television? Is this the best horror television has ever been? And I think um, the last decade or so has been really great for horror television. I think people didn't really know if you could do it before the walking dead. I remember there was a lot of trepidation about the walking dead working like, well, they're not going to be able to show any gore. And is it going to be any good? And yeah, it totally worked. It was a huge hit. And then we got a ton more horror television after that. The same thing happened when scream came out. People are like a slasher. Well, you can do it with zombies, but you can't do a slasher. Mm-hmm. And they did it for all intents and purposes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we've just seen that grow with stuff like Hannibal, which is like way more graphic than you think would be ever be allowed on television. It has this rabid online following and is a fantastically produced show. I mean, just really high quality Bates Motel and on and on and on into Stranger Things being this huge cultural phenomenon a couple of years ago. And it's interesting because I do think, although they, again, these are a big deal. A lot of horror film viewers don't watch as much horror TV as, as I think mainstream audiences do. And I think it seems to me, this is just my theory mm-hmm. that um, people who are really invested in cinema usually go out of their way to go see a movie in the theater or buy a Blu-ray or, you know, catch a thing when it's streaming or whatever. But when they watch television, they're usually like with a family member, like a significant other or a friend. And it's just like kind of a different social experience. This is just my theory. I don't know if this is true. Yeah. This is, I guess what I'm doing is I'm projecting my own personal experience. I'm liking it. Because, because that's what that's what happens in my life. I'll go out of my way to see an art house film. But when I'm watching television, it's kind of like, well, what's everyone else in the family watching? You know, like right. <laughs> watching The Office or whatever, you know? Yes. And so... I watched a lot of The Walking Dead because that was a film that was palatable to everyone in my vicinity. Um, But like, I kind of had to go find my own time to watch Bates Motel and American Horror Story was kind of out of the question. And, um, you know, and so it's been interesting um, to be kind of also in this golden age of where I also think like, I feel like I would be buying all these shows if they were on Blu-ray, but then, you know, with Stranger Things having just been released, season two was just released on Blu-ray this week as of this recording. I was really excited to see that because they had released the first film, this really cool special edition packaging, and then the second season had never come out, and season three is already in the works. And so I thought, oh, man, like I would collect these and watch them later on my own time in that way, I guess, and um, like I did with The Walking Dead, I guess. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot and kind of nonsensically. No, I, light, I, I like, I, I like what you're saying, and that that does make sense about the, the the various experiences and the settings that you under which you would watch such a thing. Because yeah, like for example, as I tease out what you were talking about, um, yeah, I might have, I could get out of the house for a couple of hours and see a horror film that the rest of my family won't want to see, right? But if it's at home, you're talking of many hours over like a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be a lot less likely for someone in 
in our situation it's hard to fit it in kind of yeah. yeah where we we have members of our family who aren't horror fans like we are so i'm with you on that now for me personally i i've been curious about many of these things but i i i'm such a i love movies so much that there's such a, a an abundance of feature films just like you know 90 minute to 2 hour experiences where it's just I like the contain the contained story. You you know what I mean? I like a mm-hmm. kind of like one meal, one sitting, you walk away chilled from it. Mm. Yeah. But which is weird for me because like I'm not as big a fan of of horror short films because it's almost like not quite enough. So yeah. but but anyways, I guess um but I will say the haunting of Hill House on Netflix has really, um, <laughs> it, it has done a lot of things to me, actually, Josh. <laughs> let, let me just well, I, put it I, like I that. Some of these, I'm just, to, just to be devil's advocate, I think of a lot of these other shows I've been mentioned, because you watched The Walking Dead as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I got up to uh, season five, and me I was too. the thing is, I was watching it with my wife, and then mm-hmm. she's like, I'm out, I can't handle it anymore. And so I was waiting, I was trying to get her to you know, keep watching it with me because that was something that we could enjoy together that is horror-esque. I mean, it's definitely horror, but for her, you know, she doesn't see zombies, you know, quite as threatening or as upsetting, but it did end up bothering her. And so um, I've been wanting to return back to it again. But, But then at the same time, let me just say one thing about The Walking Dead that might be blasphemous. Like, the father and son... Um, like Andrew Lincoln's character and, and then Carl, like I, yeah. he, he started, they both started driving me nuts is what happened. <laughs> I, I mean, like the yep. way, the way he started, like Carl, you know, just like always, I, I don't know. It was almost like he was, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Cause I don't want to mm-hmm. describe it in such yeah. a way that would offend people, but, but like, he he went from being a fairly articulate and intelligent person to like a a, a caveman or something. I, I don't know. It's weird. But well, he's that cool, you know, man with no name, yeah, kind of guy. Sometimes that's where actors like to go there. That's um, tangent, but sorry. No, I, I think that's interesting. I think everything you're saying is interesting. I I think there are a lot of excellent shows out there, though. I mean, I think Penny Dreadful we're gonna, is one we're going to cover on Universal Monsters cast. If you like those classic Universal Monsters, it's a really interesting treatment of them. I know Carl on Movie Podcast Weekly has talked about Hannibal a lot, which surprises me because it's a really intense show for someone who's not a horror fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Bates Motel because I love the Psycho universe so much. And if we ever do a Psycho franchise review which i'm sure we will at some point oh, i yeah. definitely want to bring up bates motel mm-hmm. in that discussion but jay i know you tried stranger things did you only ever make it through episode one <laughs> yeah and it wasn't just so people were clear it wasn't that i didn't like it it was it was fine i mean i, I like i want to tell you it gets far better <laughs> okay. as it goes well and good I, 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 I didn't even like the first episode that much but um, yeah, you know, I, I was kind of off put by the style of the first episode, and it it gets really good. Like it's, um, it's a really fun show. But but it, but it, anyway, to go back to your original comment, the thing I love about television in general mm-hmm. is the way that you can spend 
so much time developing these characters. And I like the way Danny McBride writes television, like he did with um, Vice Principals, for example, which I love, is he writes essentially an eight-hour movie. And he has an entire A to Z storyline and experience. It wraps up. There's um, like fulfilling emotional arcs and character arcs. And it's meant to be viewed as a season long story. But you have something like The Walking Dead and The Walking Dead, as conceived initially as in comic book form, was, you know, Robert Kirkman, when he first did, he said, I'm never going to make a movie out of The Walking Dead, which I don't know if you've heard. There have been three Walking Dead movies recently. Mm -hmm. Uh He said, I'm never going to make a movie about The Walking Dead because my favorite the thing I hate about zombie movies is they eventually end. And the thing I love about comic books is they never have to end. So I'm just going to keep doing this forever. Essentially, you know, I will never, it's a zombie story that will never have to end, (laughs) which, you know, for comic book fans, that's fine. You know, there's 300 issues of a comic over 20 years and people love that. But when, now that we're into a television series and there are still people who are going to watch a television show as long as it's on, I still watch survivor season 37. (laughs) I'm sure there, you know, there are people who watch days of our lives and all those things that have been on for a hundred years. Oh my soap operas. Yeah. And the walking dead has a soap opera element to it. But anyway, my, my point is, is that sticking with those initial characters, it just gets boring after a while. Like there's not, and it feels like it's dragged out. It doesn't feel like, there are real stakes to a lot of things because you know, they're not going to kill these people or, you know, it's, they face a lot of the same problems over and over and over again with entourage. That was always a thing. It's kind of like, Oh these yes. Never grew. Like they would always just kind of like, they'd have this experience and then they would almost like reset every episode. <laughs> That's so know? funny. You said that because I just burned out in like season three of entourage recently because I was like, <laughs> Okay, this is the same thing over. I was loving it, but I'm like, okay, this is pretty redundant. Yeah, it's it's super redundant. Mm-hmm. So I think things like Stranger Things, there's a little bit more thought to it. And it seems like with The Haunting of Hill House, Mike Flanagan, who's a fantastic horror director, I think crafted something. First of all, he changed a classic story, which is one of my favorite novels of all time. Like, it's it's not there's not much to it as a novel but it has had a deep impact on me like i have nightmares to this day that are based on the novel like yes the movie has like played a part in it the original film Mm -hmm. not so much the liam neeson film right but i have nightmares due to that novel it really messed with my head and it's very psychologically based and he he changed that classic story quite a bit to recontextualize all these characters in the world for kind of our time which i think is fantastic and he did it in such an interesting way and i think i don't know how many more seasons we'll get of it but as i understand it now he conceived of it as again kind of a piece like here's this story and he it was fully realized in his presentation and so um i really appreciate that quite mm-hmm. a great deal yeah uh, i'm with you i mean i okay so here here's my background on it I had heard, like, as soon as I heard it had come to Netflix and it was Mike Flanagan, I'm like, well, it is Mike Flanagan, so I guess should definitely at least give it a try. But then I was like, I know, but 
I know these, I'm, I'm familiar with this and I don't like supernatural stuff. I don't like ghosts. I mean, it's not that I don't like them, but they just don't do anything for me. So I'm like, whatever, ho-hum, right? Well, everybody. Well, if I could remind our listeners that season, episode two of Horror Movie Podcast two, yeah. <laughs> was called Haunted Houses. Right. And we reviewed the classic film, 1963's The Haunting, mm-hmm. in which Dave said, nine out of ten, buy it. And Wolfman Josh said, eight out of ten, buy it. And Jay of the Dead said, four, avoid. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that ruffled a lot of feathers. Yeah, All the way I, back in episode two. Yes, yes. So, um, not much has changed, and and yeah, like <laughs> I don't know, supernatural stuff, ghost stuff. It usually doesn't do it for me. But let me just tell you right now. Well, okay, before I get to that, <laughs> um, oh, oh, what a tease! <laughs> I know everybody in my life. Everybody in my life has has been watching this on Netflix, or they finished it on Netflix, and they're like all ten episodes, and they're like. Jay, have you have you tell me you've been watching The Haunting of Hill House? Because I know you're a horror fan. I'm like, nope, not yet. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, people who aren't even horror fans are like yelling at me, scolding me to watch it. And it got to the point where I was getting harassed so much. And and plus, the other thing that worried me, Josh, I was getting harassed and people were building it up so much. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be disappointed. And plus, it's a ghost thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, this guy at work told me, if you don't watch this by Monday, at least one episode, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> like, so, so I'm, like, I'm like, fine, fine, freak. You know, so I, I, I got up super early on Monday morning before work. <laughs> so I didn't have to be shamed. And I watched the first episode. And I tell you what, I was, I was extremely impressed. And even though everyone had told me like, you know, it's very creepy and the ghosts are like hidden in the shots. You can, if you look carefully, you can see ghosts like everywhere. You know, I, I heard all that stuff. I heard that it has heart, heard that it has a great story. I heard that it's kind of its own variation is own Mike Flanagan's own take. I heard that it's beautiful and everything I heard, all the hype was absolutely true. And even though I've only seen one episode, I could not be more impressed and I cannot wait to watch the next nine episodes. Lived up to the hype for you. It did. I mean, but did you, I mean, how did you feel about it? Were you as over the moon as most people seem to be? I loved it. I, I felt very, I don't know if you saw Stephen King's tweet about it, but. I did. What do you say? I forget. He was very wary that they had changed the time period and setting and all of this stuff. And he just thought, you don't mess with a classic and then he watched it and he's like, totally won me over. I love this, you know? And I had a very similar experience because this is one of my all time favorite mm-hmm. stories. As I've mentioned, mm-hmm. I love that original film. I am a, an apologist of the terrible, terrible version of the film with Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta Jones. It's an awful movie. I still kind of love it for what it is because I like that source material so much. And so, yeah. Being a fan of Mike Flanagan, I I liked where this was going, and then it started, and I was like, "Wait, what? Wait, they're brothers and sisters? And wait, huh? Like, what? What are they doing here?" Mm-hmm. And I was just, I don't know if I like this. I, it didn't take me long, though. I mean, I bought in pretty quickly. Yeah. To this, to this telling of it, I I'm 
again, I love Flanagan. So I love seeing his wife, Kate Siegel as Theo, like what an amazing idea to cast her as Theo. I love seeing Carla Gugino and Henry Thomas used who were so effective in his <laughs> from last year. I love seeing them back mm-hmm. here together. It was just like, this is amazing. Uh, the casting around the entire, like the entire cast is fantastic. Some of the best child actors you'll see um, Pax and Singleton as young Steven is so good in this. I thought he was fa- fantastic. Mm-hmm. You've got, I love that you've got all these hot young actors or like not necessarily young, but kind of modern actors like Elizabeth Reeser who plays Shirley, which I think is awesome. That her name is Shirley. But then also you've got people who, you know, like a Henry Thomas, like Timothy Hutton are kind of, kind of actors who maybe people might've thought were past their prime and they're so good here. And, you know, given the chance to really shine in, in a <laughs> series like this, Annabeth yes. Gish is Mrs. Dudley is one of my big, this is funny because my two biggest childhood movie crushes were Carly Gugino and Annabeth Gish. And they're here together. It's Whoa. like Mike Flanagan <laughs> must've known. Um, mm, that's so, so funny. Yeah. I love it. I love everything about it. I, and mm-hmm. I love his approach to it. He's so good. I think this is the best thing he's done mm-hmm. too, which is also super exciting. Cause I, I love everything he's done. And this is, I think this is even a step up for him. Right. So yeah, I don't want to overhype it. I already have, but man, me I too. I, I have too. I know I've only There's seen a lot of drama. I think that's the thing I want to warn people about, although it's scary and unsettling and, and kind of high tension like any good, story but but especially a lot of television it's a lot about these characters and their lives and the drama around it and i think that's fine and to be expected and you know so i think if you're only in this for a slash them up horror film you're gonna maybe be disappointed but if you want to really be invested in these people and their journey and then be terrified because you care about them then i think this is you right well and and let me speak to that josh because honestly and i'm only i'm only saying this after one episode i've only seen one but but like the thing that won me over is the fact that it does have like for example i think die hard is an action masterpiece and the reason i think die hard is an action masterpiece is because the action set pieces organically spring forth from the story like they happen for a reason they're just not set pieces put in because we need an action scene and and i think the best horror films are the same way where the actual horror actually comes from a a a genuine and natural type of organic place that makes sense to what's happening within the story and Mm -hmm. yes this is supernatural but also um, it, there are layers there's some depth to the horrors that are happening here and so I think because of that like a person like me who's a clock watcher I'm very impatient I, I don't like dramas typically you know generally speaking um, I, I'm loving this and enjoying the ride because it's taking me to horror places and it's like it's earning them yeah, my things, and I think this is cool because I think it's working for you. Maybe on one of the on one of the levels because 
it's changed the dynamic because it's made it a family drama mm-hmm. that plays into your my biggest <laughs> weakness which is children and families in peril kind of you know and mm-hmm. so i think that definitely works for both of us this has more of an amityville feel than it does a haunting feel right so i mean for me that is just has so much more impact and so yeah i think that's part of it as well that's true so we had talked off air like um about deep diving into all 10 episodes maybe for one of our special features episodes on the the patreon yes. feed definitely uh sponsored by a horror movie podcast and so we'll get and dave like i, I told dave too when we were recording earlier that before you know in in the midst of that first episode i just kept thinking of him because ghosts and ghost movies really affect him and scare him a lot. He's going to he's going to love this, I think. And so, yeah, we we should definitely spend the time on this because I think it's deserving. I mean, I know again, I've only seen one episode. It's embarrassing to be like, I've only seen one and everybody listening has seen all 10. I don't care. I I can tell from this first <laughs> the the very first one. This is going to be worth our time and attention. And so if people have been procrastinating like I was, I hope you will check it out. The first episode for me, Josh, is a 9.5 out of 10 on that first episode. I'm just mm-hmm. putting it out there for people. So anyways, yeah. but you, well, I you, mean, that's all you need is, you know, a, a lot of times you watch a show and this happens all the time. You're like, once you get into the, you know, seventh episode, it, re- it really starts to take off. Or once you get into the <laughs> third season, yeah, it's really good. Like the wire. And, 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 yeah, it's so hard to be like, okay, I guess I'll get to the third season before I start <laughs> enjoying myself. But with a show like this, yeah, you saw the first episode, but it's a fantastic first episode. So it's easy to recommend, like worth your time. Mm-hmm. This is worth your time. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, just for clarification, um, just so people don't think that I'm disregarding the first two seasons of The Wire. For The Wire, it's <laughs> it's it's the fifth episode you got to make it to the fifth episode of the first season <laughs> to really know what's happening. But yeah, I'm with you. I know exactly what you're saying. And yeah, right off the bat, I was pretty much in because I, I love, I love our lead character in this yeah. and I can, I can really see and feel where he's coming from. But anyway, you saw another great sh- uh, show on Netflix that um, that you were recommending to me. Yeah. Yeah, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is so good, and and it's a different vibe than this. I would say this is really rich, high quality drama. The Haunting of Hill House, um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is a little bit lighter in terms of the drama. It has a very teen feel, so very much like the Scream movies, or mm-hmm. I know you did last summer movies, or more recent examples. I guess you would go with like Tragedy Girls or something like that you know it has that type the the drama's on that level but the scares i mean it goes far as well and it's Mm. serious horror and you know we talked when riverdale was first coming out about would that ever get horror you know and it had a very twin peaks unsettling vibe to that and for those who don't know there is a writer whose name I'm forgetting right now, uh, Roberto Sacha, I believe is his name. I've, I've left out his middle name, but um, I think Roberto Aguirre Sacha, if I'm not mistaken, 
But anyway, he so he was a guy who did a play about Archie Andrews from Archie Comics, which is a totally clean, happy, shiny, all-American apple pie and baseball American <laughs> comic, like in the vein of like Garfield and right and peanuts and stuff, right? Yes. About some teenagers in a town called Riverdale. And he took that and he did a story about a gay Archie moving to the big city. And he was promptly sued by Archie comics who said, you're not going to take our wholesome all American character and make him a evil city dweller. (laughs) And, and then kind of rethought that a few years later and said, maybe we should get this guy to like help us rethink what we should do with this character. (laughs) You know, this, (laughs) this character has been in the same mode for the last 50 years. Maybe we can, use this character in a different way. And Roberto had been the screenwriter on the remake of the town, the dreaded sundown. So he was Mm. a horror guy. I love that movie. Yeah. And he did this comic book called afterlife with Archie, which was a zombie apocalypse Archie story. (laughs) And soon thereafter took Sabrina, the teenage witch, which is another, uh, you know, part of the Archie universe. And did the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic book. And since that time, uh, the Archie comics has turned out Vampironica and (laughs) The Hunger with Jughead, where he's a werewolf. And so their entire Archie universe has taken on this horror supernatural uh, (laughs) thing. It's so weird. So when they made Riverdale, I wondered, oh, is this going to be zombie apocalypse? Archie, I hope so. And it turned out, no, they were going to do kind of more of like a 90210 teen drama. But with a really weird David Lynch unsettling, strange mystery vibe to it, which I like that too. So I was, I, I, I've been perfectly fine with Riverdale for what it is. But when I, when they announced that they were making Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which in that comic is extremely gory and shocking, I thought, I hope they don't do the same thing they did with Riverdale and kind of, make this for a CW audience, you know? Mm -hmm. And they didn't like, yes, as I've mentioned, the teen aspect of it is maybe, you know, is in full teen mode, but it's in horror teen mode. It's in tragedy girls, teen mode and the witchcraft in the film is full on satanic, terrifying witchcraft. Like it's really well done and scary. So, I mean, there is like a, like a blurry witch vision effect that I really hope they don't stick with forever. Cause it's kind of annoying because in a show about witches, there's a lot of witch vision and yeah, you know, that would get old after a while. <clears throat> but again, just speaking to the first episode, heck yeah. Like they took the craft and the witch and melded them together into like this really creepy, fantastic show so far. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with with what we've seen. You know, this Sabrina character has crossed over into the Riverdale universe, and so I think that my and there's been rumors that Vampironica may eventually show up in Riverdale, and so there's a chance that this Archie universe gets a vampire, a werewolf, and a zombie apocalypse before it's all over. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, if you can handle the teen drama of it all, and I would say it's, it's way better done than like the scream television series. Like this is very palatable. Like it's not annoying 
to me at all. Like it's basically like most horror movies deal with like teenage protagonists. And as that goes, this is not even slightly annoying Yeah, with, in that regard, you know? Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm very high on the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Nothing like Sabrina, the teenage, Witch. if you remember that show with Melissa Joan Hart, right. not be further. It's gory, disturbing, um, and it opens <clears throat> the opening title sequence for the show is done completely with images from the comic book. So that gave me even more hope that like, oh no, this is going to get just as gnarly as like blood splattered walls as the comic. So that's interesting. Wow. We've talked a lot about religion on this episode and there is a yes, really we weird, interesting religious element of the show where Usually witches are used in a way to represent um, the outcast or, you know, female sexuality on the, the attempt of the patriarchy to kind of bottle that up. And, and, you know, and so when we talk about the crucible or then the witch trials, it's, it's, and it seems like an excuse to demonize young women, basically. Right. And, mm-hmm. And that's how witches are often used in film and television and and literature. Yeah. Well, they do the opposite here, which is really interesting. They make, and again, I'm only speaking of the first episode. They make the witch craft, the patriarchy. So they make, um, they make her Sabrina's relationship with, being a witch, which she's a half witch, you know, she's a mug blood to use Harry Potter term. Um, oh boy. <laughs> she, she's a half witch. She's half human and half witch. And for her, her family obligation, the kind of like old tradition that she's just not that into is to leave and go to this witch training program and become like a full fledged witch. But she wants to like, she's kind of rejecting that. And she's kind of saying, I don't want to really follow my family's tradition. I want to stay and, and be with my friends. And so it's interesting where, where, where their starting point is where witchcraft is kind of like the way we would typically think of like religion and yeah. family responsibilities. And, and it's, it's and okay. I, I'm with you. It's now. like the boring old, like lame thing in her life that she doesn't, that she's rebelling against to like be a regular teenage girl, you know, it's just kind of a fun idea. I don't know where they're going to take it. And and Sabrina right off the bat is in a lot of danger because she comes from kind of an important bloodline on her father's side. And there are people out to get multiple people out to murder and destroy her. So um, it's fun. It's a really fun show. Wow. Yeah. When you, when you told me, cause I feel like you got a really good sense of what I'm into when you told me that I should definitely watch it after after hearing my reaction to Hill House, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't even put it together. <laughs> now, here's something I want to ask you about it. I, it, You said it's definitely serious horror. Um, and I've heard, I've heard there's like, you know, nudity and there's a lot of like, you know, s- satanic type stuff. But it, the rating on here says TV 14. So I'm huh. I'm shocked. I don't understand. Well, I mean, you know, what's the rating on The Walking Dead? I don't know how they do that stuff. I haven't seen right. a ton of nudity. Like, it, there's 
you know, the kind of masked partial nudity that you see a lot on television where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, we're almost going to see a certain body part, but then they kind of like crop it a certain way. So you don't really see <laughs> right where the shadows are hiding certain elements or whatever. They do a lot of that in the first episode. Um, I will say there's a little bit of modern horror stuff that I don't like with um, a CGI monster, which is a scarecrow. I, sh- I should mention oh like wow really well done horror scarecrow where you're like this is awesome and the first time you see it and then as that scene progresses it gets it's kind of like more and more fast moving blurry cgi creation and i'm like oh, that's too bad that looked really cool at first um but there's not much of that and it's really cool and the and the cat that she has Salem, which is like kind of a joke character in the old Sabrina the Teenage Witch show. Because it talked in that show, but it doesn't talk oh yet. Oh my gosh, dude. In this. It's so effective in this. It It's so... I don't know how... I, I, I won't... Well, I'll just mention this because it's cool. And who knows how many people will actually sit down and watch it. If you are going to sit down and watch it, this won't spoil the series for you. Okay. Um, These witches need a familiar... And the familiar is kind of like this demon thing that takes the form of an animal, like a raven or something. That is kind of their helper, right? Mm-hmm. And so for her, she goes out to the woods and calls upon the forces of darkness to send her a familiar that will be like her partner in crime. And um, this awful, terrifying demon comes into her room and is talking to her like, you called for me. Kind of like this, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but then it, transforms into this black cat Salem mm-hmm. and it doesn't speak when in cat form. And so far we've only seen it in those two forms and it's an extremely effective sidekick. I'll just say that. Like, wow. Salem okay. is one of the coolest parts of the show. So it's not like Azriel with Gargamel. No. <laughs> like, you know, like you remember how he would, he would almost talk, but yeah. not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, so far no talking. They're Why just treating so like a regular funny? cat when in cat form. Um, I'm just slap happy. I'm sorry. I, I mean, look, it, it's it's got the teen stuff. I, you, there's no way around it. But it's nothing like Riverdale. Like Riverdale is like full blown teen soap with, but just done in a David Lynch style. This is so far a story about t- a teenage witch. <laughs> like it's as much about it's as much as as witchy as the craft. You know, like, and I think way better in terms of like my tastes, in terms of like the style and the approach to the witchcraft and everything. Wow, I am so intrigued. I mean, you really. You, I mean, when you I told sold you to watch it, that. my thinking was, "Hey, you took a chance on the first episode of The Haunting, and you liked it." I thought you could take a chance on the first episode of Sabrina too, and just see if if it's your cup of tea. Yeah, well, I like that actress, and I and I remember uh, Kieran and Shipka from. Um, oh, yeah. From the Black Coat's daughter, yeah. you know, and I was funny. I mentioned this on Twitter, but like I was really rooting for her when I saw that she got Sabrina. I was like, "That's so cool!" Like I loved her and Black Coat's daughter so much. I'm so glad that like a mainstream audience is going to get to see her. And I was like looking at her page on IMDb. I'm like, "Oh, she was in like 90 episodes." Of, yeah, the <laughs> uh, Mad Men. And then and then the funny thing is like Rachel, my wife, walks in while I'm watching. And she's like, "Hey, she's a girl from Mad Men." I'm like, "Okay, she's." She's not well. She's well known. She's going to be just fine. Right. Well, she, <laughs> well, she was even in a movie that I love from 2009 called Carriers, which okay. is which is way better than um, 
than anybody than it than you'd ever expect. I mean, it's Chris yeah. Pine before he was a m- movie star type, and Piper Perabo, and yeah. um, it's it, it's neat. They're they're a group of friends trying to get away from this viral pandemic and. It's okay. way better than you think. And it's PG-13, but it's still pretty effective. But anyway, she's in that. So Well, I think you see the Riverdale cast, and every, every one of them for me was kind of like, eh, it's kind of a weird choice, but I, I'll give it time. And, and every single one of those kids was kind of, a, except for maybe Betty, was like, a, even her, though, it was kind of like a slightly strange choice from a casting perspective. Kieran Shipka, you're like, you are Sabrina. Like this, you is you are the perfect <laughs> person to cast in this. She is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've actually heard other people say that as well, that she's like the perfect casting choice. So I love it when that happens. I mean, that's that's amazing. All right. Well, um, so have you uh, there are 20 episodes, right? Have you watched the whole thing yet? No, nope, I'm just getting going. I think I'm on episode three or so. Okay. But, um, okay. Yeah, but I, I love it so far. That's great. Yeah. yeah. But we're only talking about the first episode today, so I, you know, I haven't really gone beyond that. And mm-hmm. like with Haunting of Hill House, if we get a couple of people on the network who have seen it, I think it would be cool to do a special features episode where we dive in and talk about the whole season. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. There's one more thing I want to mention that's Stranger Things related. Season three is in the works and the Duffer brothers have talked about their influences on season three. Now we know with like season one, it was very much Stephen King influenced the, the influences they've dropped so far for season three are David Cronenberg, George A. Romero and John Carpenter's the thing are their major influences going into season three. And so weirdly Fletch. (laughs) I'm really curious. Oh I'm really God. curious to see how the thing and Fletch make their way into the same movie. <laughs> did you tell Matroid that about the Fletch thing? I, I did not know. <laughs> okay, he he loves Fletch. That's, that's so funny. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think it's time to move into Collector's Crypt. All right, well, for the Collector's Crypt this week, I didn't really have... Um, movie specifically to talk about we are going to do a movie i'm going to do a movie with dave next time and that we do the show together but dave you know had a lot going on and needed to sleep and so i thought you know we haven't done this in a while let's talk about a vinyl record there's this awesome soundtrack to the movie halloween which most people seem to love i absolutely am fanatical about it and um you know, it was, of course, written by John Carpenter and Cody Carpenter and another person whose name I should probably have in front of me since I'm doing a review of it right now. But um, it's uh, Daniel A. Davies. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The people basically who play with John Carpenter on his music endeavor and his tour, mm-hmm. uh, they have come together to do the score for the 2018 David Gordon Green film. And there have been some amazing vinyl releases of the soundtrack uh, sacred Bones did the coolest one i would say um but it sold out pretty quickly and i i'm an early purchaser but even so i wasn't even able to get a copy of that and i pre-ordered it way in advance so wow i went over to waxwork records which um 
kind of got the rights from Sacred Bones to do their own version. I love it. I love Waxwork Records generally. I would, it's definitely not as cool as the Sacred Bones release, but I would still recommend picking it up. Again, the soundtrack itself is just beautiful music. This release has some photography from the film. The film's poster is the cover art and some photography from the film inside the inside the liner notes. And then the disc itself is pressed from what they call white mask or sorry, mask white jumpsuit blue and blood red are the colors of the, of the wax here. But for me, it looks like a clown color. It's red, white, and blue. And for me, I just thought of young Michael's clown mask. That's kind of what was in my mind uh, when I saw it, but I, I like it in that way. That's kind of what I imagine. Honestly, that's cool when I look at it, but, it's really beautiful piece of vinyl and if you're a collector, if you, if you're willing to pay a ton of money on eBay, you can still get that sacred bones release. <laughs> but for the rest of us, I would say it's absolutely still worth owning the waxwork records version, which I think you can pretty easily still pick up without much hassle. So I'd recommend people do that. Just out of curiosity, how much is that sacred bones one going for on eBay? <laughs> Oh, good question. Is I don't it? know. I know that we have some listeners that own it. I, I was when I posted my very proudly posted my beautiful waxwork records um, vinyl. I had a few listeners chime in and say, "Yeah, I got the Sacred Bones one." Oh, <laughs> so like, yeah, right. Thanks a lot, jerks. Yeah, like like, Joe Brunette. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, on, just Joe. just saying. Yeah, we have this moment, man. Um, <laughs> looks like. Forty-five dollars uh, for the pumpkin-colored Sacred Bones release, which is also beautiful. It's not the amazingly cool one, though. Okay, it's just the plain orange, which I still like that better, also than the Waxwork Records one. Uh, but but it's the really cool ones. You're looking at seventy-five dollars up to this one right here is one hundred twenty dollars. Um, for a limited edition of 500 copies. So, oh, wow. You know, that's okay. happens fast in the vinyl <laughs> world. That's why they encourage you to subscribe because then you just get a copy of everything. But that's I don't right. know, man. Actually, there are, there's one here for $250. It was signed by John, Car- by the whole, you know, by the composers, all three composers, <laughs> the Sacred Bones, Blood Splatter Vinyl with the awesome, awesome, uh, cover art yeah 250 bucks wow that's serious yeah. okay well it sounds like you still recommend the wax for <laughs> yeah version, I would so. and look i'd recommend anybody just pick up the soundtrack on itunes if that's what you have to do right but if you're if you're a vinyl collector yeah i mean and i should say they're very there are new releases of night of living dead and the haunting of hill house that are super awesome over waxwork records. They also did a burbs, but man, the burbs and the get out cover art bugged me to no end. I'm so bummed out the way they chose to do this, but yeah, you can get the vinyl of Halloween for only 25 bucks. So okay. a little bit more cost effective. Right. And that's right. All right. So that's the collector script. And thanks for that, Josh. Now um, we got a few quick announcements here before we transition into our Halloween 2018 listener feedback. And uh, just real quick on horror movie podcasts, we like to do 
PSAs or public service announcements about things that are either um, seem to be horror, but they're not, or maybe they're horror adjacent. But it's always of interest one way or another to horror fans. At least we hope it is, (laughs) right? But uh, the first thing I got to say is this is streaming on Netflix. There's a film called The Night Comes for Us. Have you seen this yet, Josh? No, I have not. No. Okay. The martial arts one. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, I heard huge things about this This is written and directed by, uh, uh, Timo Jahanto. I'm sure I mispronounced that. Um, the star at eco UAs. He's a very talented martial artist. He was in the raid movies and that guy's exceptional recently. in raid content. tonight. Yeah, for, for sure. But, um, the reason I'm mentioning this on a horror movie podcast is because, honest to goodness, <laughs> when I watch this movie, ima- okay, imagine this, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, I'm going to avoid hyperbole 100% and tell you straight, Josh. Okay, ready? If, if you imagine a bunch of martial artists who are incredible... Um, like harming each other, like fighting and like breaking bones and all that stuff, like the things that martial artists usually do, but they they show it very graphically, like like in a a Steven Seagal movie. It looks like it's actually happening, and then they have lots of blades, like they'll have machetes and and weird martial arts blades and blah blah blah, whatever that is, <laughs> and they slice and dice each other. Like meat cleavers, like there's a sequence in a butcher shop. And Josh, I do not know how this was filmed and people did not get killed or permanently maimed or injured. I seriously, I do not know. And and it's so high speed, the, the verisimilitude of it, it looks, ab- to my eye, which is, you know, I, I'm a martial artist. I don't know if you know that, Josh. They make fun of me over on Movie Podcast Weekly. I, I, I've um, been in martial arts for a long time. And so, of course, I'm not on their level and I appreciate their craft. But watching what they're doing and knowing how hard what they're doing is. And then, presumably, they're not permanently uh, disfiguring and injuring one another. But, but oh my goodness. So... The reason I'm bringing this up on this show is because if you're a gore hound, then I think you'll love this film. I mean, it's an action martial arts type of thriller, not a horror film per se, but it's got more hatchet and machete gore than most horror films I can even think of. And the reason I'm bringing it up on here is because I know like there are some horror filmmakers that listen to this show. I would love to see what this film does with martial arts violence, I would love to see a horror film kind of, you know, take on this approach. And what I mean by that, Josh is like, you know how, like when we watch a slasher film, there's violence and there's gore and you, and they do show it, you know, but it's still kind of stylized. There's, there's definitely a, a staging to it. Well, this, people walk into a room, pick up a meat cleaver, and start hacking in each other. And it's just like, it's like you're watching it for real. And, and, 
And so I would love to see a horror movie that takes that same approach where it just flows right through the scene, flows right through the violence as if you're standing in a room and this all happens right before your eyes. Um, it's astounding. It really is. And I, I, I hope, even though this is not a horror film, I hope people will check it out. It's called The Night Comes For Us. It's streaming on Netflix. And it's definitely worth your time. What do you think, Josh? Wow, that sounds amazing, Jay. And the first thing that came to mind for me was Michael Myers' first big stalking scene in Halloween 2018. Is that even like way more stylized than you're talking about? Because that, for me, has like a a very in the moment type of violence. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's good. It's good. The, the Halloween 2018 scene, it's definitely good. But what I'm talking about is it's like a, like, okay. When I was a kid, this is a true story. Let me tell you this story. One time I was, a <laughs> one time I was a kid, I was in <laughs> Moundsville, West Virginia and we were in the city at my aunt and uncle's house, which is where most of my horror movie and horror related experiences have happened in my life. But, but, uh, my, my older cousin, he was in the second floor window and he was dropping water balloons out of the window onto our heads. And it was, yeah, it was a summer day and you know, this is very idyllic, right? This is perfect. And, Everything's beautiful. And I'm a little kid. I'm about, I bet you, seven years old. And all of a sudden, we hear this commotion and this woman screaming. And there's this, like, you know, big dude who's really burly and kind of a rough-looking character. He's, like, chasing this woman. And she's running through the neighborhood, falling over fences, trying to escape this guy. And he's, like, assaulting this woman, and smacking her around and harming her. And like, I witnessed this as a seven year old and it's very traumatizing to me, but it was just weird because yeah. I'm standing there and I we're dropping water balloons. We're laughing and just having so much fun. And then we hear this screaming sounds and then it's like a, a play or something where they just pass through right in front of us and this violence is happening and then it just keeps on going. And that's what, that's exactly how the night comes for us feels. Wow. They walk into this butcher shop and it's just like the violence comes into the room with you and you're seeing violence everywhere. And then it's just like, wow. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really intriguing. So, mm, um, fascinating. yeah. So I'd love to see some horror filmmakers tackle this. I, I honestly do not know how they filmed this so i would love for you you have a much better much more trained eye as a filmmaker i'd like for you to see it and tell me about it what you think but we had one listener recommend this to us actually just as of well, i guess it was two days ago as of this recording pretty boy bauer on twitter aspiring cenobite it says here <laughs> says uh horror-adjacent PSA for fans of the Raid movies. Nice. The Night Comes for Us just got put up on Netflix. It is aggressively violent, and those action scenes are insane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, uh, nailed it. Great <laughs> minds. Great minds think alike. Yeah. The Night Comes for Us. And then the other one I got to attribute and credit to you and a guy named Andy over on Movie Podcast Weekly. This is 0% horror, but... Hmm. Scary as hell for me, Josh. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's a film called Free Solo. And, you watched it? Uh, yes, I went to see it based on your review and, <laughs> and that image that you sent me too. Um, <clears throat> Josh and Andy reviewed this over on Movie Podcast Weekly and they totally sold me on it. And I'll, I'll just be really fast because this may or may not be of interest to the horror fans, but there's this incredible climber. And, I mean, if it's not, get a life, guys. Come on. Yeah, because this is pretty fantastic. There's this uh, <laughs> there's this climber named Alex Honnold. Is that how you pronounce his last name, Josh? I'm not sure. That's an Andy question. Okay. Yes. Well, anyways, um, he's a very strong, remarkable climber, and basically, he endeavored to solo free solo climb. That means with no ropes, no safety precautions, no net. <laughs> Uh, he to solo climb Yosemite's three thousand two hundred foot um, El Capitan wall, which is yeah. this 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 sheer rock face cliff with n- with nothing to hold him, or if he slips, you know it's over, he's gone. And uh, I'm telling you, Josh, <laughs> this was. This is one of the scariest films I saw all year. And no, I'll tell Juan and people like that right now. This won't be in my horror top 10, but I was I was genuinely very scared and very upset watching this movie, but I loved it. This was a 10 out of 10 oh. for me. I hope if people get to see, I'm sure it'll be on Amazon very soon. It's called Free Solo, and uh, you got to see it. Yeah, and I'll just refer people to my review with Andy, I guess on movie podcast weekly episode three eleven. do a little cross promotion here mm-hmm. because you guys also reviewed Halloween on that episode. Yes. And I talked about the house with the clock in the walls, which may be of interest to some horror fans as well. So that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, so we've teased it a couple times. Let's uh, tell them what's coming up next on our themed episode. It's, it's my turn to pick. And I actually thought of this a, like a month or so after pig-headed horror because <laughs> I was I was on a roll, Josh. I was on a like, roll. How do I top pig-headed horror? Yeah, it wasn't that. But I'm like, okay, I need to dial it back so I don't drive Josh absolutely nuts. But also, I, I did want to still stay in the vein of a very like kind of obscure sub-sub horror genre. And of course, we're going to do scary scarecrows. Or we've we've toyed around. Dave and I like scary ass scarecrows, but I don't. That 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 almost suggests something. Um, but well, you know, barely Ashley on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She had a great suggestion: straw-headed horror. <laughs> <laughs> I love that is pure brilliance. Straw-headed horror, man, that's funny. I, I just I love that actually that's amazing. Well, good job Ashley. Well done. Yes, yes, very well done. And um, I know we've got we've got some serious fans of this, like uh, Jody Horror Guy, for example. Um, mm-hmm. so so Josh, there there's some excitement about this, and so that's yeah. that's coming up. That's going to be our episode um that releases right around Black Friday, and so. Um, it'll be my goal and my objective. We we I think we're recording it on Tuesday night, so I'm really going to try to have that out by Black Friday. Eve. Yeah, Thanksgiving yeah. Eve Eve. Yes, exactly. So anyway, scary. So yeah, scary. so this is our Thanksgiving episode, and and that's you know there's a harvest 
element to it. So I think it's a great Thanksgiving episode, <laughs> to be honest. Totally. That's right. And I'm already getting amped for our Christmas episode. Guys, you're going to be super excited for this. Stick around for Christmas Horror 2018. It's going to be amazing. Yes. I'm so excited. Josh's favorite episode all year on Horror Movie Podcast is the Christmas episode. Followed by Jay's favorite episode of the year, which is going to be our top 10 lists, right? Yes. So. Top 10 horror of 2018. Oh, and last but not least, but let's tell them about our little bonus episode. It's an extra HMP release that's coming to you later this week around Friday, November 16th. That's our goal anyway. At the time we're recording this, Suspiria 2018 Hasn't released quite yet in our local market. It's coming out here this weekend, but we're going to be seeing it, of course. And then, like I said, around this upcoming Friday, November 16th, we're going to bring you a Suspiria Versus episode. So we're going to be reviewing Argento's original 1977 version of Suspiria. And then we're going to do a little comparing and contrasting HMP Versus style with the new Suspiria 2018. So... Make sure you have seen both of those movies because I think you'll enjoy this episode coming up. We're also going to bring you a feature review of Overlord, which is a new 2018 movie that comes out this weekend as well. I have a good feeling about this one. From the trailer, it appears to be this interesting blend of uh, like a World War II movie mixed with some Nazi human experimentation freaks kind of movie. It reminds me a little bit of what we saw in The Third Puppet Master with uh, Toulon's Revenge. It seems like we (laughs) saw a little bit of this. It's kind of a familiar thing, but I dig this kind of stuff. Human experimentation when you turn humans into freaks and stuff. So I think that's going to be really cool. And that's uh, the next bonus episode. It's going to have a bunch of extra little bonus horror movie reviews for you. So we're going to have some recommendations in there. So you don't want to miss this one. And uh, perhaps best of all, we are slated to have a special guest, Allison with a Y, or AKA the Horror Unicorn, is going to be joining us. So that's a Horror Movie Podcast bonus episode 161. Oh my oh, goodness. We've got some great episodes coming up. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Be fun. Yep. So people can subscribe if you haven't already to make sure that you get everything that we release. So I got two packages on the same day. Now, unfortunately, it's weird because this was happening at the time there was that guy sending mail mail bombs everywhere, right? And I, I'm I'm nobody special. I'm not laughing at mail bombs. I'm sorry. It's just the idea of that is sad and funny. I, I shouldn't be laughing at mail bombs. Right, right. And and the one was I'm like, okay, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure this is from an HMP listener, and so that was pretty obvious. But the other one, I was not sure, and it was kind of like in this mysterious box and. I'm like, well, you know, that could be a mail bomb. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many bombs that dude sent out. And and he wasn't caught yet. He was not captured at that point. And so he's targeting like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton and Jay of the Dead because he hated that you included that damn Owen Wilson movie, your top 10 horror movie. I knew I knew you would say that. I knew you would make that comparison. But no, yeah, I'm I'm nobody. But I'm just saying that, um, you know, I'm a cautious person. And I would hate to be blown up by a mail bomb. Nobody wants to be blown to smithereens. Exactly. Exactly. So what I do on my work computer is I look at the, like the um, return address, right? And it's some company name. And so I, I look them up and Google them and so forth. 
And do you know how when you Google something, <laughs> you get ads for that thing, you know, they, they come up thereafter. So, so like a few minutes later, <clears throat> and I saw it was a legit like pop culture type of, you know, company. But when I went into Amazon uh, at my work computer, it brought up like <laughs> all of these, all of these um, very risque <laughs> And 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 soft core type uh, pornographic images uh, of things. So I guess this company has other product lines as well. <laughs> and it was yes, so. and it was on my work computer, so it was super funny. But actually, um, my good buddy, my longtime friend Jason Dragon, he sent um two things. It was a mug of um Alice Sweet Alice. So it's like a coffee mug with that that cover art on it with the knife through the baby doll. And man, it is so cool. I didn't even know they made mugs of that film. But Jason Dragon knows that I love that that movie and I really appreciate it. So thank you for that, buddy. And and then he also sent (laughs) he also sent a T-shirt and he said that he had this shirt and um. I think it wasn't quite the right size or whatever. And he's like, what am I going to do with this shirt? And it's, uh, and he, and he said in there, you know, be, uh, be careful where you wear this. Cause I don't want you to get in trouble and not be allowed to do the podcast anymore with, you know, like the people in your community or whatever. Right. And, and uh, it's uh leather face. It's a Texas chainsaw massacre t-shirt and it is, it is completely like blood splattered all over it and it's really cool. So I just want to say thank you to Jason dragon. He's always been uh, very nice to us and very generous. So that was the first thing. And, and thanks for all those um, wonderful images on my work computer. That was, (laughs) it was my fault because I, I'm the one that was Googling stuff, but I was just like, I thought that was super (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Um, Anyways, that was pretty awesome. And then the other thing, we 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 received a tremendous package, and and Josh, I think it would be fun to work these in. Um, if you you're really good at contests, and I'm not, <laughs> so uh, basically, he sent. It was a uh, Brian Bashi, who who's a listener and uh, yeah. very supportive of our show. He was extremely generous. He sent the collector's edition Blu-ray of The Howling. He sent Ooh. collector's edition Blu-ray of Misery. He sent Ooh. collector's edition <laughs> Blu-ray of The Burbs. And col- Are you sure this wasn't just for me? <laughs> well, Come on, Brian. <laughs> and he sent collector's <laughs> edition of, of Slither. And so... Yeah, those were like four of the best movies ever made. I know. And and he sent, and this is a movie that are just coincidentally, um, Jason Dragon has been wanting me to see and I've been dying to see forever. And um, he sent the uh, Blu-ray for Livid, which is Region B. Now, Josh, do you have a player that will play Region B or a universal Blu-ray player? Uh, I bet you 100% Dave does, but... Oh yeah, I'm sure. So, anyways, I'm gonna figure out a way to, to see this movie uh, because I'm dying to see it. But also, Brian Beshi said he's like, "You guys can." He said, "You're welcome to keep these films for yourselves, or you can give them away as prizes to the listeners." But he just wanted to thank Horror Movie Podcast, and 
you know, express his appreciation to the community. So, um, well, now we have to give him away since you <laughs> told the listeners. <laughs> well, we don't. I mean, I don't think people will fault you too much. Is there one that you want of these, Josh? Is there one that's special? Dude, the burbs is my, I mean, I would, I would honestly. I, I just assumed you Honestly, had. I assumed you had all these on Blu-ray. Well, I do have. I do have the Misery one actually, but um, I do not have the Burbs one yet. I've been meaning to get it. I hate to take it from a listener, but no, you you get it. You get it, Josh. If the listeners knew <laughs> how hard you work behind the scenes, uh, Josh gets the Burbs. Let's we'll do that, and then and then you are the Wolfman. So do you do you want this howling? Do you want that? Well, I say we save that for a, a werewolf episode. Okay, I, I've been meaning to do another werewolf episode for a long time now. Deal. Um, we haven't done one since we did the the state of the werewolf address back when I was in Columbia. Wow, it's been a couple of years now. So I would love to do another werewolf episode, and we can do a giveaway of the howling for that episode. That would be fantastic. Excellent. Okay. So then, and then I would say anything else you want to give away. Let's do it on our Chris, Christmas episode. Okay, yeah, let's do like like so. We have Slither and Misery. Cool. So, well, let's say, what if we save Misery for part two of our Winter with Stephen King episode this winter? That's a good idea. Let's do okay, that. So let's give away. Let's give away um, Slither on our. Christmas episode. And how will the listeners enter into that competition? So <laughs> if you don't have Twitter, it's harder to enter these contests because that's where we throw a lot of them up. In fact, we had one just this last week that was not announced on the podcast proper. It is in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. Mm-hmm. But other than that, only on Twitter. So we should come up with another way that you don't have to have Twitter to enter these contests. One of my favorites is we just go to our most recent reviews and find a listener who's given us a review recently and, mm-hmm. and give it to someone there. Cause we really appreciate your reviews on iTunes, those ratings and reviews. Oh yeah. Really help us really help other horror fans find the podcast. So that's right. Um, you, you know, my, um, just one last note and I promise we'll keep going. My, my favorite, uh, I think my favorite thing that listeners do and we've never asked them to do this, but when they do this, it make it makes my entire week is when there'll be these random questions sometimes on Twitter, like, Hey, what, what's a good podcast or what's a good horror podcast or what are you listening to? And, um, you know, a lot of our listeners will jump on that and shout us out, uh, which is really nice. Anytime that happens, we really appreciate that. So thank you. Definitely. All right. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks to Brian Bashi and thanks to Jason Dragon. You guys are very generous and we do not deserve it. So thank you. All right, Joshua. What do we have in terms of Halloween 2018 listener feedback? Well, a lot of people really love this movie. A few people didn't. And we are the comments reflected as much. One thing that was really interesting to me that kind of came out of this last week of reading the the reviews and especially the reactions from our listeners was that some people were kind of bummed out about our review. And I, and I would say, look, we had two people on our review, give it a nine out of 10. All of us said, see it in the theater and buy it. And even the other two reviews were pretty high. I mean, they were like six and eight or something, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. 
or you know they, these were pretty strongly reviewed film but still there were people kind of like uh, there are too many criticisms of the film and you guys are kind of downers and like <laughs> why are you why are you thinking so hard about a movie like this like it just meant to be enjoyed and i just thought man like it's an interesting concept and and i, I don't mean to pick on him in, in any way i'm just saying i just wanted to mention this jody whore guy who's the friend of the show big friend posted huh? recently that sometimes it's a bummer to go to a movie with people who are overly critical after the film. And I thought that was an interesting comment. And it's one that I wanted to kind of discuss with you, Jay, like mm-hmm. for you, does a negative review spoil your fun? Like this here, if, if, and cause I, I kind of got that sense myself when we were doing that review, I loved Justin beam on the show i thought yes. he was brilliant he is truly a poet in the way he describes his love for the genre right i i was blown away by his abilities um agreed as an orator you yeah. said that I, there was a bit of like oh i felt like i kind of came here to celebrate a movie and then it does kind of when one person's energy is kind of like so much lower it does kind of bring it down a a hair you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so i i felt what the listeners or some of the listeners were saying but i thought it was totally worth it because I, I thought our conversation was so much fun i just you know i i really enjoyed that discussion but but what do you think about that idea does the overly harsh review or just kind of a like a an environment of people kind of being low on a film does that spoil it for you? Like, how, how do you feel about that? Well, this is a fascinating question. And I love, I love talking about this because this is, oh my goodness, this is so, so much the heart of uh, movie reviewing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. let's, let's start with this facet because it's a, it's really broad. Um, like, for example, I, I love, and I believe you love Killer Clowns from Outer Space, 1988. Now, obviously, no, all oh, just me, not you, not you. <laughs> okay, how do you not love that? Anyways, see I what I mean. Enough time with it, to be honest. But. Okay, this is why we can't have nice things, Josh. Right? <laughs> well, is my <laughs> no, is, is my non love for the movie disappointing you? Well, that's, that's so. I love this. Is perfect. This is a perfect yeah. illustration. So, yeah. with that film, like when when I whenever I watch that, which I do revisit it uh, pretty often, actually. It's like, yes, this is a this is not a good film. This is a a bad film. In fact, I mean, it's 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 not very well made. But you know, this is not it's not trying to dethrone Citizen Kane and all that stuff. I mean, there's and and we <laughs> you know there it's like, what is this movie meant to be? What is this movie for? Now, one can still be free to analyze and and critique. And critique doesn't necessarily mean like, like when we use the word critique and film criticism, we're not necessarily meaning be snarky and tear it apart. We're just saying, let's, let's analyze this film and discuss Dude, its I'm not at all merits. saying be snarky. Like, no, no, sure. no. And, and sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just, I just had this experience this week where, um, I can't remember what started the conversation. It was a Twitter conversation with a listener. And I mentioned, yeah, we had this experience once on the show where, oh, you know, it was Andrew 
um, from West Virginia. Okay. And he was saying, I don't get why people complain about your show. You have all this free content. Like, what's wrong with people? Like, can't they just be appreciative of what you guys do? And I was saying, no, it's fine. Like, we're anyone who's creative that's putting something out, like, that's what you kind of agree to when you put something out into the ether is that people may critique it. And I was saying, I even had this interaction with one of the screenwriters of Summer of 84 where he didn't really appreciate an element of our review. And that ultimately turned into a positive experience in the end because we were able to have a dialogue about it. And it wasn't just like some snarky online comment. It was like, Oh no, we like, we kind of like worked through (laughs) the thing, you know, but the funny thing about that was, is that I guess he must have some kind of Google alert or something on summer of 84. Cause I, I typed that and he pretty quickly after that responded and be like, well, it's cause you were such a jerk in your review. And like, Blah, blah blah blah, and I was like, whoa, 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 wait! I was trying to say this was a positive experience, and I, he apparently had mixed us up with another podcast. Oh, okay, yeah, because <laughs> he had only ever uh, called out another one other podcast, you know, um, on their review, and he was annoyed because he's like, yeah, I mean, like someone spends three years of their life on something, and then you just kind of crap on it with some snarky criticism so that you you know to kind of prove you're smart or something and i just said look that's not what we're about at all first of all i don't think i'm capable of coming up with a pithy comment but second of all like that's just not our approach to cinema you know Mm -hmm. and he was like oh i think i confused you with somebody else i'm sorry and and again it turned into ultimately a positive experience um but uh, yeah i'm sorry i just wanted to interject that yeah that brief experience sorry to derail you no i actually i I love hearing about that actually um yeah it's so i can see both sides of it i've always thought and and i and i've said this on on occasion that like if if you love if you love something and and you know it's good like if it's good to you and 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 you enjoy it Yes, you do want to share that with other people. You want other people to feel the same way. But I feel like on one hand, we should all be confident enough or comfortable enough with our own tastes and our own preferences to just be content with the fact that, well, I love it. It's my thing. It might not be your thing, but I love it. You know, like, um, and, and honestly, I've, I've definitely had to do that with, with something like, uh, the Owen Wilson movie. What is that called? No escape. Right. Um, I mean, that is, that is such horror to me, that film, but, but for a lot of people, they're like, Oh my goodness, no way. So, and that's fine. So there is that side of it, but on the other side and, and Josh, I feel like, you know, I, I learned this, I learned so many things from, from you actually, but I learned this from you on movie podcast weekly where if there was a film that you that you really loved or appreciated and I hated it, then I would go after it pretty hard. And and e- even though you, you know, loved it and appreciated it. And so like, and, and then I learned from having those exchanges with you. I'm like, well, that's kind of jerky of me to like r- try to rip apart a film that Josh actually appreciates and, you know, f- feels some sort of, you know, affection toward the film. So I see that. And so I can see Jody horror guy. If he's saying, you know, like, 
this is sacred to me or precious to me, then then yes, it's always good to have respectful dialogue. But I feel like you might have even just been saying you're bumming out my theater experience because you're always negative when we walk out of the theater too. You know. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. And 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 honestly, like this is so. This is where I'm going to get in trouble, Josh. Okay. I always know. I can call it. I can call it. I always know when I'm going to get in trouble with people. I do feel like, to some extent, Halloween fans are so loyal. and How dare you, yeah, sir? And fiercely, Halloween fans are so fiercely dedicated and loyal and committed. I mean, they love it like I have never seen any other fandom love something I'm not even joking, and and I I admire and respect that very much, but I have noticed over the years that Halloween fans will not hear of it. They will not hear any like often often they will not hear any sort of um, critique, and I and I feel like it's like well you know I guess there are things that I I like. When it comes to the village, I know people like <laughs> I know people hate the village, but I I love the village. And Greg Amortis hates the village. Greg, Greg Amortis, who's a big Halloween fan, by the way, coincidentally, he thinks the village is dumb. But it's my all time favorite movie. I mean, I think that's a masterpiece. But 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 Greg Amortis says it's dumb, and and um, but it's just funny because we have you know, different movies that are sacred to us. Anyways, I'm just rambling now, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because as I mentioned, as we were having that conversation with Justin, I felt it a little bit. Like I, I could feel what they're talking about. I kind of like, oh, I was just kind of here to have a good time. Why are we Why are we being, you know, why is the energy so low on this? You kind of feel like you have to kind of keep like dredging up that energy again to like talk about the, like I was here to celebrate, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, I don't, I think there's so much value in that. And I think a, a well thought out criticism is extremely valuable and just makes for fun discussion too. I love debate. You know, I would have, I'd have liked to have been a high school debater. I just enjoy the volley of ideas. And so I really appreciate that but i've been i've definitely been guilty of it in the past me and william once got in a huge fight about the thing prequel (laughs) which is not even like a great movie (laughs) but i I got so frustrated with that experience that you know we just kind of like we were podcasting i was like i'm done and we just hung up and like never finished that episode like that's how upset we were in that conversation. So that's that's not released and available over on the Sci-Fi right. Podcast. Never been released anywhere. No. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, so it's definitely happened to me. And you know, I think when you're, especially when you're a fan of something, and then someone comes in like, "No, nah, it's stupid." Like it does kind of, it does kind of annoy you, or at least what right. it does for me is it kind of makes me not respect them as much, honestly. Yeah. Like it's kind of like, well, sure. Yeah, scream stupid. I'm like, if, scream is clearly not stupid. Like it, it might not be your thing, but it's brilliant. Like, yeah. If, if, like, sorry, you, you bring up such a good point. Yeah. yeah if but, they're dismissive, if they're being completely dismissive, it's like what we talked about earlier with Mandy. If somebody's like, that film's just a waste of, life that should have never been made like you know if somebody says that it's like okay clearly you're just being dismissive 
Yeah. And you're not even, you know, you're not even acknowledging the degree to which there is merit, you know, and, and that's, that's what drives me nuts. And I feel like in our Halloween discussion, even though like some of it was kind of sober, I guess, or somber, yeah, I do feel like all of it was um, at least like sincere and not, not, not snarky at all, but like we were exploring it. I think we're engaging with the material. So it's not, yeah, it's the opposite of dismissive. We were really delving into it. And you know, some people took issue with that. Like Juan's like, this is not a movie. You have to think about that much. Like, (laughs) you know, like it's all relative kind of. So your opinion doesn't matter more than another fan's opinion to which I'm like, what do you think it is we do here? Like, yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that is exactly. Yeah, Carl is the same way. Like, like over on Movie Podcast Weekly, and I'm saying this right now because I say this to him all the time too. So it's not like I'm mm-hmm. t- talking behind his back. But like, we'll we'll be reviewing and talking about a movie, and Carl's like, okay, like let's let's wrap this up. Let's um, it's like, well, what else do you have to do? I mean, that's why we're here is to talk about movies. So like, you know. W- the the point of that episode is to review Halloween 2018, right? Like, anyway, it's just <laughs> That's funny. Just like your opinion, man. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. right. It's like, oh well, this is the part of the show where we do magic tricks, and um, <laughs> we're delaying the magic portion. Anyways, um, no, that's that that's actually really neat. I, I understand. Yeah, because I've gone to the movies with people before, and I love it. And you come out, and you want to kind of talk about it and be excited about it, and they're just totally yeah. a downer about it. And you're like, oh. So I yeah, and especially I think people, you know, Halloween had been such a huge. It's a win for the horror community, honestly. That film doing so well, and so, which at the time of this recording, I don't know if it's adjusted for inflation. It wasn't last I checked, but at the time of this recording, it is the most successful slasher movie of all time so that's super exciting Mm -hmm. that we have that in 2018 in the 11th film in a franchise you know like that's super (laughs) exciting yeah yeah and it's super exciting that the 11th film in a franchise uh you gave it a nine i gave it a nine dave gave it an eight i mean to get an 11th film with ratings that high that's that's pretty interesting way above what any of us should expect so i say all that to say this uh i wish we would have been able to read the listener reactions on that episode because i think it would have given people maybe a little bit more of that celebratory thing they were hoping for we were just too exhausted after talking about halloween for three hours so um (laughs) i i I want to do that now just kind of go through some of these listener comments and yeah and just hear what people's reactions were, right? Yeah, let's do it. So this is at Jackie underscore April underscore three on Twitter. Jackie says, I loved it. More hardcore than the original, but plenty of great callbacks. Unfortunately, we had some obnoxious audience members, but we tried to enjoy it anyway. Also nearly cried seeing Jamie Lee as Laurie again. Aww. And I agree. There were a couple of times at the beginning of the film with the reintroduction of Lori, where I was like, I was close to crying on my first viewing. Like I was like, Whoa, this is intense. And Lori's going through so much. I was like, yeah, this is, this is where it's at. <laughs> it's amazing. 
Um, Juan says, I was lucky to have seen this a month ago at Fantastic Fest, and it got pretty positive response from the audience back then. Personally, I loved it, even though I didn't agree with all of the choices. I can't wait to talk spoilers with everyone. Saw it again last night, and I liked it even more than the first time. This is so good, you guys. I'm not sure what all the whining, I mean, complaining is about. It's almost as good as the original, sometimes even better. And it's miles away from H2 and H2O. I can't wait to discuss. And I was I was with him mm. until he said it was way better than <laughs> H2 and H2O. Than I, was, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say I, I agree with every single thing he said until that last sentence. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. This is interesting. Greg was a little bit bummed about this. He says, the theater was a quarter full. I wanted a packed house. This was a respectable crowd. I had a packed house on both of my screenings. What about you, Jay? Mm, um, let's see. No, no, no not on okay. in either screening, actually. Oh, wow. See, that's fascinating that a film cannot be packed and still become the number one slasher of all time. I mean, it did really well. It's not just the only number one slasher. It, I think it won at the box office like four weeks in a row or something, if I'm not mistaken. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Greg says, laughed, cried, cheered, and jumped all at the proper moments. I'm ranking it a nine out of 10. See it in the theater. Heck, see it twice. Slashers are back. And uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Ashley agreed with that. Yes. Me too. Um, this is Modern Horror Show on Twitter says, my experience was driving to the theater in excitement, then realizing I forgot my wallet on the kitchen counter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh, that's bummer. And that's it. Yep. That that was that yep. was the yeah. hell. <laughs> that was that was hilarious. <laughs> I I was just I thought there was going to be more to that one. <laughs> Well, I mean, he was. He says maybe he'll get a chance to see it again. That was on October twentieth, so I don't. Know. I'm assuming oh. got a chance to see it. Since then. <laughs> that was super funny. Yeah, I love that one. Dark Mark says, "Loved this film. Nice job, Blumhouse." Can next? Can we get Halloween: The Return of the Witch? So <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> He's Dark Mark always pushing pushing yeah. the the envelope there, <laughs> pushing boundaries, right? <laughs> Uh, barely Ashley says, I'm pretty sure my heart stopped beating toward the end there. I really enjoyed it. And my husband, who is highly critical of all horror movies because he's lame, really liked it too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's good. Yep. Andrew says, this is Andrew the blind saw it tonight. One of my best experiences, seeing a horror movie in a theater exceeded all my expectations. Story and characters earned the terror. Michael is more brutal than ever. Lori is badass. See it 10 out of 10. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice job, Andred. Pastor Matt Rawlings says, great experience going in. Theater had a guy dressed up like Michael Myers walking around the lobby, even standing behind us in the concession line. Packed house, but audience reaction was muted compared to even the strangers pray at night earlier this year. Really liked it. Eight out of 10. Yeah, it's interesting. My audience was super hyped, but I have seen that a couple of times. People saying that their audience wasn't really responding a lot. I, I had great audiences too. Hmm, that is so curious. I wonder what the explanation is for that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, this is Brandon Falk, the Boogie Brand on Twitter. He says, 
Halloween 2018 is everything I wanted and more. Strong female leads, role reversals on Michael, and multiple hell yeah moments make it for me the best and only true sequel to the original film. See it in theaters several times, three and counting for me, and buy it. 10 out of 10. Okay. Now, said only true sequel? So, yeah, so that means he disregards Halloween 2 from 1981 then. Is that Sounds like it, yeah. Oh, wow. Well. This is the one. Interesting. Okay. This is the best. 10 out of 10. Yeah, and Bran had already seen it three times by October 22nd. That's <laughs> that's a lot of times. Nice. Okay, so this is Shane, the maniac cop. He says, loved it. A couple of moments I didn't like, but overall, loved it. I'm glad I was able to go the entire time without watching a single trailer. So, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I bet that that <coughs> that probably helped the experience. I bet. Mm-hmm. I know I James, can't. I never have the the discipline to do that. <laughs> but James Dean, who you just mentioned, listeners who say, uh, "Hey, check out this podcast. It's the best." James here, I noticed, commented and and recommended four other horror podcasts, not horror movie podcasts. So James, come on, dude, can't on. slip us in at number five. <laughs> come on, James. <laughs> James says eight out of ten. It's a worthy follow up. It made my sick monster kid soul smile with glee. All right. Patrick at soccer Pat seven twelve on Twitter says it was fantastic. Such a great follow and worthy successor. Five out of five or 10 out of 10. Okay. Thank so you for Patrick. the conversion. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Math. That's right. Um, Jason, this is ABC 643 Baseball on Twitter, says, rather than comparing it to the original, maybe we should be asking if it's as good as H2O. I thought the script was awful. Did the kids say, dance is my passion? I did enjoy the Easter eggs. If it was easy, that all that all be all-time greats. 6.5 out of 10. So I thought dance with my passion was maybe the best line of the movie. <laughs> I, I loved it. I love that part too. And, and you know, it's funny because I have heard a few different people critique that line. Yeah. And, and maybe it seems like maybe we talked about this a little bit already, but yeah, we did it, but go for it. But yeah, I mean, I just think I can see when, when a character was say something quirky that might be a little bit out of character that could be distracting and i think take you out of a movie but um if it's if it's such a a subtle and slight and insignificant part of the film and if there's humor value i don't know i could i could excuse it but yeah it was one of my favorite lines of the whole movie too but anyways go ahead it was just so great yeah so at chiller pop on twitter says superb movie and I'm currently enjoying your H1, H2, H3 episode. So thanks for checking that out. That's our original um, Halloween franchise review, which was a lot of fun. That is one of my favorite episodes, the one you just referred to. And the reason, let me just tell you this little real quick story. Mm-hmm. I, uh, So you and I have spent, you know, uh, a number of hours, like, you know, editing horror movie podcasts over the mm-hmm. years. And, and, the time that I remember most editing this podcast was when I was editing our review of Halloween two 
And remember, Greg, Greg Amortis was on that episode with us. And, uh, and I was sitting at a park with my kids and it, it and it, this is a good memory. So don't worry. Like, and, and, and I was at, uh, <laughs> I was on this like picnic table sitting there editing and just loving hearing the review, like hearing Greg, when I hear Greg Amortis's um, enthusiasm and his love for this franchise, it, it just, it gets me pumped about horror movies in general. And like, it just gets me excited. And I, and I just love listening to that review. And, and I just sat like watching my kids play on at the park while I was editing. And that was just, that's one of my favorite memories actually of editing this podcast. Josh, do you want to know my, my, uh, my worst editing experience for this podcast is was pre- it the eight hour episode. Yeah, it was the eight hour episode. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was like watching the wall. <laughs> I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was a little advised. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was interesting, you know, recently because we've been posting those on Twitter. I've heard a couple of people be really complimentary. One of our listeners said that they listen to that every single year for Halloween, which was really cool. Nice. Um, another listener, I believe it was Chantel Shani Dreadful said it was her favorite horror podcast of all time. That one episode of any horror podcast, which was awesome. Wow. Um, and I think it was Allison Halloween mom. Also with an eye who said, uh, yeah, she's listened to it like three times. So yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun franchise review. I recommend people check out that franchise review if they hadn't mm-hmm. yet. Okay. Moving on. Mark T. This is Tadeo underscore Mark on Twitter says a slasher movie with no slashing is the best way to describe Halloween. 2018 was debating whether to go watch Venom, but chose Halloween instead. Big mistake. It's an avoid four out of 10. Mark could not disagree with you more, buddy. <laughs> well, uh, what I'm most curious about is if he if he actually saw Venom because yeah. Venom was kind of rough actually. Yeah, it's not it's, it'd be really hard to make this comment having seen Venom, I would think. But, you know, teach their own. Yeah, maybe maybe he prefers That's Venom. That's like your opinion, man. That's right. That's right. All right. This is Marcus Brown at Marcus UC26 on Twitter. Marcus says the movie was really good. Nine out of 10 for me. One of the better horror films of the last few years. The theater wasn't overly animated or crowded when I went, but I enjoyed the film. So wow, glad that was the case. Marcus mm-hmm. E Jackson, 1968. That's Eric Jackson says Sodom Friday. And again on Saturday, loved this movie and all of the fan service included. Halloween is my favorite horror franchise. And I have to admit this one has slid into the number two slot behind 1978, of course. For once, the shape is perfect. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Chiller Pop says, PSJ of the Dead, I saw this in Sugar House. Did you? No way. No way. I <laughs> Actually, um, the first time I saw it was in, in West Virginia because I was home, you know, visiting my family. And then the second time I saw it was it. uh the Vineyard Geneva Megaplex there. So nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if Chiller Pop is a Salt Lake City native on their Twitter. They are listed their location as San Francisco, California. So maybe just passing through, but oh cool. Uh Chris Dewey says had a blast. At times I felt like it was moving too quickly, but it was great. 
Loved the score, most of the actors, and the look. Few things I didn't like, but still possibly the third best in the series. Thought that they were bringing back an element from part six for a second there. Eight out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. I was <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> Thorn. And then uh, Timo at running Timo K says, "What a movie! It was a modern. It was modern, and yet the makers had courage to keep the core of the original dichotomy intact. I'm very impressed." And then uh, Timo wrote some thoughts on their blog, which uh, you can check out on our Twitter feed, or I'll just say it's running Timo K WordPress.com. So you can read Timo's thoughts there if you like. And we got a bunch of other um, responses on the message boards and email. And one I wanted to read from uh, Allison here Mm -hmm. because she's, after all, Halloween mom mm-hmm. is her uh, is her handle. She says, let me say first that I was able to go into this film with absolutely no knowledge of the film, minus the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis was starring, that John Carpenter was somehow involved. I avoided every trailer, every article, every interview, because I did not want to have any preconceived notions about this film, and I was totally satisfied. Totally. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I'll start with my gripes. And the, these are spoilers, so I'm going to skip over um, her gripes. But you can find Allison's comment with all of these gripes at horrormoviepodcast.com in the comment section. Now on to the good stuff. Having said all that, I love this movie. This is the second Halloween movie that I've seen in the theaters, the other being H2O. And the crowd was excellent. Everyone was involved, and it was obvious that there were some real fans in the crowd. I loved all the nods to the previous films. This truly felt like you said in the episode, that this was a fan appreciation film more than a continuation. Jamie Lee Curtis did not disappoint as Laurie Strode. Laurie strikes me as someone who never received counseling after a terrible traumatic event. And this is what PTSD has done to her. It's entirely possible in this universe without the family angle. that Michael never thought of her again once he was apprehended, but she thought of nothing but him every single day. It's possible that without so-and-so's so-and-so, which we is a spoiler, so I'll just it's entirely possible that without a certain element of the film, Michael may have never desired to cross paths with Lori again and only desired to continue the killing he started on Halloween night, 1978. And I'm actually okay with that line of thinking, just like with the rest of the franchise. I can compartmentalize the story lines and roll with it. Mm-hmm. I can watch H1, H2, and H2O and feel content. I can do the same with H1, H2, H4, and H5. I've learned to appreciate H6 for what it is and don't mind, don't even mind resurrection. I'm not talking about Rob Zombie here. I rarely ever watch the revamps. I also love H3 as a standalone film and watch it every year multiple times. I can't wait for H18 to be released on Blu ray so that I can watch the original and this one back to back. I have a feeling that this is a film I will love more and more with every watch, 8.5 out of 10, see it in theaters, definitely buy. Mm-hmm. That was good. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like that whole, the compartmentalizing and the being being okay with choosing your own adventure, so to speak. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think that's that's actually really cool about this franchise. People, I feel like, over the years, some people are critical. They think that's a weakness, but it's kind of 
makes it unique. It's it's a neat little, you know, variation. Yeah, it's a fun way to watch, I think, as well. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, I, there is one listener who had some major complaints that I wanted to read. <laughs> okay. This person, Adam Dillon, at Dillon2441 on Twitter, sent us some thoughts. And I, I haven't edited these thoughts down, so I apologize if I stumble a little bit while reading. But because, um, you know, it's not all going to make perfect sense within this context. But Okay. This is kind of long like Allison's was. Adam says, I may be just getting older and more cynical. I really wanted to like this movie, and I guess I'm just tired of comparing everything to the original. I came out of the theater having a new respect for the Rob Zombie 1 and 2 adaptations, at least albeit a little bit out there and sometimes ramping up the white trash. It was a fresh take. The other thing that's bothering me is we as a horror community for 40-plus years have respected the strong final girl but now we're supposed to act like we've ignored strong females in slasher films. You have brutality, rape and nudity in an indie film. And it's considered art. A couple of topless women running for their lives in a slasher and it's get back in your place, woman. So I wanted to ask Adam more about that. And I was like, so what, what did you mean exactly by the get back in your place? woman?" I was following you at first, but then got kind of lost at the end and, Adam says, basically, I was going off of the famous Ebert video expressing his displeasure with the treatment of women and slashers. That line, the line that always bothered me by Ebert was, get back in your place, woman. So 40 plus years, that was the opinion of the mainstream, holier than thou crowd about us as horror fan as a horror fan community. We hate women and all we want to see is them get naked. Not that there's anything wrong with that and then get dismembered. This opinion completely ignored the concept of the final girl and the respect that we as horror community have always had for strong women. And now 40 years and countless Hollywood execs getting called out for sexual harassment later, they are making a big deal out of the final girl and slashers, which led me to my opinion of the latest Halloween film. I am a huge fan of the series. And even if resurrection is on, I'll watch it. I think with all the reboots and retcons, I think I'm just tired of it. Tack on all of the great critic reviews about how this is the slasher for the Me Too movement, and my opinion gets even worse. I understand that politics have creeped into just about everything we do now, but I always felt slashers were untouchable. So I think a lot of people were blinded by that and the hype of saying how scary this movie is. As a true fan of the series, I feel they just CC'd the original and Laurie Strode and had Laurie Strode recreate some of the shape fam- the shape's famous scenes. The cherry on top is the media saying how strong these women are completely ignoring the fact that it's been the theme of slashers for 40 plus years. Mm-hmm. Right, I know this is a little repetitive. Um, but I, I do, I do like that, that point of what he's saying yeah. is that the final, the final girl, I mean, that, that is a strong archetypal, like, you know, female victor among all the victims. And we've had that, for many years and so i you know i think that's a that's a fair point for sure mm-hmm. adam says keep up the great work you guys i'm sorry if i get a little cranky i'm a 40 year old fireman in philadelphia with two kids under the age of three running around so i feel that i that may have affected my opinion of the movie <laughs> but when i do get sleep your podcast is usually on when i fall asleep so we put them right out so that's good to know well your slasher retrospective was like hopping into a time machine Headed to my video store as a kid. So big thank you for all of your time and hard work. 
Well, thank you, Adam, for sharing that. I I mostly agree with you. I, I do think one that I think horror has always had a political element to it. And I think that's okay. And, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be partisan politics. I think for me, political is personal, right? This is the old adage. So I think a lot of that stuff is, it's just about what's going on in our world right now. Like politics is, is by large degree, what are the issues facing us as a species of humanity mm-hmm. and like how are different people dealing with that? Yeah. And so I, I think that's okay. And I, and I, and I do think that this film does reflect the me too times up movement in a way that all these other final girl movies maybe didn't. And I, and I, and I, and I don't say that discounting all that stuff. Cause I think you're right. I mean, I, I, again, I mostly agree with everything you're saying, but I do think this has a little bit something different. And also it's just the movie that's coming out of that time. So I think that's just a, that's it's going to get compared to, to what we're seeing, but I think Jamie Lee Curtis in our episode, and I hope we didn't turn you off with our coverage that I, we put a little clip in there of Jamie Lee Curtis talking about the me too movement. And I thought it was fascinating with her saying like this time period is about women taking their narrative back from the offenders who did it to them. And I think that is a little bit different. And I think that is a little bit difference that we see in the narrative of the new Halloween film which is, as Jason rightly pointed out, maybe a reason it's not so scary because she becomes an aggressor and she is more powerful mm-hmm. than, than Michael in a lot of ways. Right. So I don't know. I think there's something to it. Yeah. And but, uh, but I appreciate your take on the final girl thing. I, I do too. And I think we could all agree <laughs> that, yeah. that yes, horror films um, do have a history of objectifying women I'm I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Like, I think we can all acknowledge that. And, and for many people, um, there's a degree to which that has appeal. Like, for example, I'm not a, I'm not a person who rates a horror movie on if it has nudity, but I have known, I have known people who would deduct points if there's no nudity. (laughs) Like, so I'm just, I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) right, Josh? Yeah, I mean, look, this was the thing with your pig-headed horror idea, right? And so uh, <laughs> discussing that with some listeners yeah. who were particularly uh, offended by this uh, that idea. By, they would say, by well, pig-headed look, horror? Yeah, they were saying, well, look, here's the thing. is just we as horror fans appreciate so many different bits of minutia within the genre justin beam talked about this Mm -hmm. when we were talking about the idea of it being problematic that we're rooting for a a mass murder right right he was saying like look we just we are horror fans i feel like are more informed and more engaged than a lot of other general movie audiences i think they know more about special effects and they know you know and we just become invested in the details of these things in a different way I just think that's true. And yes, you know, and I, and so, yeah, I think we, it's easy to get <laughs> stuck on the boobs, blood. And what was that other thing in the, the three B's podcast? You, <laughs> you listen to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember it. Was it boo- blood and, booze? Is it booze? I don't may, know. Maybe. I don't know. 
uh, whatever the thing. Yeah, we we do that. Like when we did the Friday the 13th franchise review, I went through and talked about the kill count in each movie. Mm-hmm. And this is before the kill count YouTube channel, at least before I was aware of it. And the implements used, right? So, like, that's just a thing that horror fans get into that stuff. I'm not obsessed with murder. Right. But that's just kind of a fun thing that we talk about, you know? I, so, I don't know what I'm, I'm... It's getting late, Jay. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I, know, I agree with you. I do think what you're saying is funny, though, because I... I although I agree with everything you're saying, I, I don't feel like that we could claim... <laughs> and by we... I mean, um, the, those who, who, um, let's see, how can I articulate it? I, I just don't think that we could claim any sort of like higher, like, um, uh, objective <laughs> right. in, in watching like the nudity for, right. for other than what it is, which is, you know, they, yeah, they show attractive I mean, it's, people I, Yeah, it's somewhere between art and titillation and <laughs> right we just have to own that. And like some people really dislike that element of horror and I don't blame them. I think it was Allison actually Allison with an eye that doesn't like anything that has nudity in it. She's a big hell. Yeah. And that's great. And, and, um, and there are other people who really appreciate the female form and they get (laughs) super into it. And although some, you know, that can seem super grody or like creepy, (laughs) I'm not going to judge that either as long as it's not harming anyone. I don't think you can necessarily, as long as the film was made by upstanding citizens, you know, and not <laughs> like in the kind of me too environment. Right. Um, right. Like these were not, these people weren't necessarily exploited. They're choosing to take part in this. They're adults. And what am I even talking about? What are we talking about right now? <laughs> I'm so tired. I don't well, I'm rambling and ranting right now. No, I love it. I love it. And I'm, you know, I, I just, I appreciate that last email because, yeah, it brought if us what I've into said this. doesn't make any sense. Please forgive me. It's yeah. <laughs> like, well, after one in the morning right now and yeah, we've we were, been podcasting for a very long time. Yeah. We've been going for like four hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Um, anyways, so I got, I got one quick email and then we could wrap it up unless you have other things, but how's that I, sound? I think just i think you've said it perfectly horror is exploitative of women and has traditionally been yes or also has championed the final girl mm-hmm. and those things are both true so like you know it does create kind of a weird environment to talk about it and we just kind of have to there's this interesting thing this year with anna biller who did um the love witch where she was kind of ragging on mm. any female horror fans who liked slashers for this exact reason. Yeah, I saw and, that. And the internet lost their mind with her, like super upset with her for for saying that. And I, I didn't disagree with most of her points that she was making other than the main point, which was uh, people shouldn't, you know, like this, which is, I think, a dumb well, thing well. to say. And, and here's what her her, her sub points were all decent points. Yeah, she's very intelligent um, and, and and insightful. But but here's what's like really fascinating to me, um, uh, and I'm just put I'm just putting it out there. Okay, so I guess you can send your emails if you want, but it's it's 
after 1 a.m. So hopefully we'll get a little we grace. We really don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Either, so. yeah we, hopefully we'll get a little. We're both very slap happy right now. But uh, let me just say this. It's fascinating how we could say, oh, yeah, I love horror movies. And yes, that means that I watch movies where people get mutilated and mistreated and abused and, and cut up and murdered. But but don't worry. I don't condone those things. I mean, I, you know, I, I still disapprove of that. And, and so the same could be said of, yes, I watch horror movies where women are objectified and blah, 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 blah. But I don't condone those things. You know what I mean? So I think if, if a horror fan can be, I guess, believed that I'm not a murderer and I don't believe in that, then they could yeah, also I do think it's a little bit different though, because when your subject matter is murder, but like, it's almost like the difference between cannibal Holocaust and a horror film. Like people are upset with cannibal Holocaust because the way they made it exploited an actual animal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so right. women's bodies are exploited in the film, but it's not necessarily the subject matter of the film. It's like a, it's like a way in which the film is produced. Does that make sense? Right. But as you said, if there's a distinction, assuming though, assuming, as you said, that they're adults and willing participants, et cetera. Yes. Then they're just expressing their female (laughs) sexual power and we should be supportive of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right. I don't know what I'm talking about, Ian. Okay. We just delete this entire conversation. No, it's fun. I'm sure we'll get in plenty of trouble for it. Oh, uh, let's so, put this after the credits or something. <laughs> it's awesome, Josh. Okay. Okay. I I love getting yelled at. Um. Oh, so yeah, not me. So from France, this one. Yes. So speaking of getting yelled at, this actually came in to Movie Podcast Weekly, and I stole it for this show. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, suckers. But I did, t- <laughs> I did tell Flavian from France. I said I'm gonna read this over on Horror Movie Podcast. So make sure you check it out. So here it is, Flavian from France. This is a French perspective. He said Halloween 18. The pacing felt in sync with the original. There was no frantic editing as movies tend to do when dealing with action. The frontline characters are so engaging. I can't stop thinking of how Lori's mental state helped her survive all these years. And then I'll, I'll edit a little bit here because of uh, his spoilers. And um, he talks about being affected deeply by trauma and paranoia and, and, and so forth. So I'm, I'm editing as I read and Michael, I still don't know about Michael. I don't want to. And it scares me. The secondary characters all have a story, even if they're only given one minute to share it, which gives them enough flesh for us to care when Michael tears it apart. And the music is a living thing on its own, efficiently telling us the story with its intentionally intentionally limited vocabulary. I enjoyed Halloween 18. It's interesting. People are just calling this Halloween 18. Mm-hmm. It is a very good fit to Halloween 78 for me and left me in a similar state of being pushed into a dark hangar. The door is locked shut and faint sound is heard. Is it a step sound? Someone breathing? (laughs) So Flavian from France, thank you for sending that in. 
I'm glad you, you enjoyed the we film. We didn't really talk about the name choice. It is a really weird choice to call your sequel to Halloween Halloween. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, the Slash Film cast was really hilarious about that because, <laughs> because there's Halloween 78, Halloween 2007, and Halloween 2018. And they're all three Halloween. And Except <sighs> Halloween's the original. Halloween 2007 is a remake. This is a sequel. To 78. So it makes absolutely no sense. But they all take place on Halloween, Halloween. proper. Yeah. So you can't fault them too much. You know. Yeah. I just wonder what were the other titles that they toyed with. Hmm. And I, 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 the one defense I saw of this. I don't know if it was Ryan Turk or Jason Blum. But they were basically saying like. We didn't want people who weren't familiar with the franchise, they feel like they couldn't go to this, which turned out to be a great move because they made a bit, buttload of money. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe if it was called like Halloween 11, people would be like, or Halloween H4O, people would be like, uh, can I see this without seeing the other ones and maybe not go to it? Well, and in fact, a lot of people, if they weren't, you know, familiar horror fans or, you know, diehard franchise fans yeah. or whatever, I mean, how many films would you go to that are like the 11th installment? You'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not seeing that. But it is, uh, but it is actually Halloween 2 within the, within the time frame of this. So then do you make it the third Halloween 2 movie? I think. Like, that's also confusing. I think you just call it Halloween 2018 is what I think. Be- I mean, I think that's a Stupid, stupid title, but I'm fine with it. You know, 2018 is. is stupid. Halloween 2018 is stupid. Oh well, you're saying that's actually the title is Halloween 2018. Yeah, like the 2018 like is Dracula part of 2000. <laughs> well, yes, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that but but yeah, I mean because I mean because then what do you call the sequel to this movie? Halloween two, well, or Halloween three. And another question: What are we gonna call? <laughs> what is technically the 18th Halloween film. If people try to call that Halloween 18 and you know, 20 years from now, they're going to be wondering if you meant Halloween 2018. So, well, here's the thing. I think you just have to do the naming gimmick where you just call it Halloween colon some other thing. I don't see any problem. Right. And yeah, a subtitle. You know, Tate, we've talked about the raid a lot tonight. How about Halloween Redemption? That would be really nice. <laughs> exactly. I agree with that. I agree with that. I don't know. I mean, yes, that is less appealing to have a name like that. I I believe that. But 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 how about not doing? How about not doing Halloween colon the now insert noun here of Michael Myers? Let's not do that. Right. Right. Anyways, all right, Josh, I think that just about wraps up episode 160 of Horror Movie Podcast. We've been recording for four and a half hours. Jeez Louise. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Sometimes I think about our life choices and <laughs> just... we just really love talking about movies. Mm-hmm. If we only had someone who really liked to edit our talking about movies, that then it wouldn't be that bad, honestly. Yeah, seriously, it would. Because then it's kind of like, for everyone else, it's done now. But for one of us, this is going to go on for like 15 more hours. <laughs> 15, literally, 
15 more hours yes yeah yeah this will be I'm, I'm taking this one this week so it's no problem anyways we we want to thank you all for listening i hope you will join us in two weeks for our straw-headed horror scary ass scarecrows oh man i was gonna just do scary scarecrows and i thought that was really funny but that 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 word combination that phrase appears many times on the internet and so we need to find a way to stand out i like that it sounds like a scooby-doo episode exactly i mean it's funny right scary scarecrows it's just funny to me because if you wrote like frightening scarecrows or freaky scarecrows you don't have the alliteration thing going but right anyways i hope people will check out movie podcast weekly our sister show it's um super dumb but I love it anyway. And Josh was on there recently, as he How said. About scarecrow creeps. <laughs> <laughs> How about scarecrowkers? Nah. <laughs> nah. We'll work on it. We'll see what we come up with. Josh, yeah. where can the listeners find more of your work on the internet? Find me on social media like Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook. At Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company, Icarus Arts and Entertainment, actually is the true name of my production company. You can also find me in the future at Universal Monsters Cast and Movie Streamcast, not at the time of this recording, but maybe by the time you're listening to this years from now. And <laughs> that's about it. Okay, that sounds good. Make sure you follow Dave over at uh dvdinfatuation.com and we love your comments so we hope you get involved in this horror movie podcast community you can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 160 or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com we also have a voicemail that's 801-382-8789 and you can find all our episodes including the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis at our website horrormoviepodcast.com you could subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review if you don't mind. You could follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. We're pretty active on Twitter. That's a great way to communicate with us. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach, who did a classical reworking of Fred's original theme where he orchestrated it. Kagan does excellent work. You can find Kagan at kaganbreitenbach.com and they'll be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 160. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>